Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Illinois has a program that provides free or affordable child care to low-income families, including at-home-based daycares. More than 15,000 of those providers are currently in contract negotiations with the state. They're bargaining over pay and retirement as more workers leave the field because of low wages and a lack of benefits. WBEZ's Esther Yunji Kang takes a look at what advocates call the workforce behind the workforce. Larissa Learning Lab is a home-based daycare in the Chatham neighborhood on Chicago's south side. And owner Bridget Vance is multitasking on a Friday morning. The 57-year-old comforts a toddler who is under the weather while building blocks with two other little ones. That's a tall tower. Wow, what color is that? This daycare center serves between 6 to 10 kids on any given weekday from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Vance is passionate about taking care of children. They're precious and they're a gift from God. And every child deserves to be treated with love, dignity and respect. But it hasn't been easy over the last 25 years. After all, she runs a business. There's utilities, staff, benefits, taxes to pay. Vance has held side jobs and used credit cards to make ends meet. Well, let's just say monthly a couple of thousand dollars. That's what I take home. You can actually get public assistance with that amount. And I just think that that's a disgrace. She says it's hard to save money and she has no retirement or pension plan in place. Vance is among more than 15,000 home-based child care providers in Illinois who are part of the state's child care assistance program. That program gives struggling families free or close to free child care. Now these providers are in the middle of contract negotiations with the state over retirement plans, training, and most importantly, pay in the form of the state's rates per child. Vance and others say many providers make close to or less than minimum wage. The child care workforce is really the workforce behind the workforce. That's Bryn Seibert with SEIU Healthcare Illinois, the union that represents Vance and thousands of other home-based child care providers. She says if the child care assistance program is to help struggling parents, it has to do right by the child care professionals who change diapers, read books, and play with preschoolers on a daily basis. A spokesperson for the state says contract talks are pending. Seibert says those talks have been ongoing since last June. And with more and more workers leaving this field for better-paying retail and warehouse jobs, families are struggling to find child care. Our child care workforce is in crisis, and that's something that we're definitely seeing happening now. Mariana Soto-Manning is president of Chicago's Erickson Institute, a graduate school in childhood development. She says a lot of home-based child care providers, who are mostly women of color, offer longer hours, closer locations, and also what she calls culturally affirming care. 
She explains that as the kinds of interactions and linguistic responsiveness, the kind of food, the kinds of community connections, and most of all, the belief in the brilliance of children of color. Soto Manning says increasing wages and providing benefits for daycare operators would help address inequality. To right wrongs, to make sure that we are answerable for a historical disinvestment, we need to really think about removing barriers to access to childcare that meet families' needs. And she says to help providers like Bridget Vance have a living wage and a nest egg. Esther Yunji Kang, WBEZ News. This is WBEZ. Is there a culture of racism inside this Pierce County Department? Six workers say yes. Six current or former workers with Pierce County's Facilities Management Department claim to be victims of a deep-rooted culture of racism, discrimination and harassment that allegedly has been condoned by the county. The employees, who collectively have more than 80 years of experience, filed a lawsuit in Pierce County Superior Court on Monday, accusing the county of discrimination, negligence and retaliation, court records show. I think, for them, it's really about effectuating change and ensuring that Pierce County is held accountable and reacts appropriately by ceasing to condone racism and harassment in the workplace, and harassment, attorney Holly Connolly, who is representing the plaintiffs, said in an interview. Pierce County declined to comment on the allegations, citing its practice of generally not publicly addressing pending litigation. The lawsuit claimed that open hostility toward minorities is commonplace in the department and has gone unaddressed by managers. Plaintiffs have allegedly been called racial slurs, told they weren't welcome or compared to animals. One worker, an Asian-American man, had been subjected to racial stereotypes in front of supervisors, including having his stomach rubbed without consent and being asked if he was eating dogs for lunch, according to a tort claim filed with the county in September. A tort claim, which is a claim for damages, is a precursor to a lawsuit. Another employee, a Mexican-American man, was asked what Mexicans ate for Thanksgiving, the tort claim said. A third worker, a black man, had allegedly been denied requests for proper footwear and gloves to shovel snow at Riemann Hall, despite white employees being given a boot allowance. Meanwhile, the plaintiff's complaints were swept under the rug, according to the lawsuit. When workers did formally complain, they were allegedly retaliated against by the county, which changed their roles and responsibilities, made up concerns about them, publicly disparaged them and tried to oust them from their jobs, the suit said. White colleagues were allegedly treated differently. Non-minority workers' complaints led to investigations, Connolly said. White employees also were routinely chosen for promotions over the plaintiffs and paid more, according to the lawsuit. The facilities management department is responsible for maintaining county-owned facilities, oversight of real estate purchases, sales and leases, and managing new construction and significant remodeling projects, among other things, according to the county's website. There are currently 83 budgeted positions in the department, county spokeswoman Libby Catalinic said in an email. Four of the plaintiffs remain employed by the county, according to the tort claim. One was fired after an allegedly biased investigation into sexual harassment allegations and another was constructively discharged, meaning he felt forced to quit due to poor working conditions, the filing said. Connolly said the plaintiffs hope through legal action to create positive workplace conditions for the next line of employees. For many years, as plaintiffs suffered silently through the severe and pervasive racial hostility in the workplace, defendant Pierce County leadership condoned and participated in the racial-based hostilities and failed to protect them, the lawsuit stated. 
plaintiffs had sought $1.5 million to $2.5 million damages each in the tort claim. The lawsuit is seeking unspecified damages to be proven at trial, legal fees and any other relief deemed appropriate by the court. The historically black Lincoln University has been in the news since the untimely January 8th death of Antoinette Bonnie Candia Bailey, who was vice president of student affairs at the school in Jefferson City, Missouri. The letter Candia Bailey sent via email that day detailed the workplace bullying she experienced under Lincoln University President John B. Mosley. Word of Candia Bailey's passing and the circumstances she described in what was her farewell letter has prompted examination locally, regionally, and nationally, and in circles that include higher ed but are certainly not limited to it. Holly Edgel is Managing Editor of the Midwest Newsroom. She joins us now to talk about her reporting on this story for NPR member stations in Missouri, Kansas, Iowa, and Nebraska. Holly, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Let's talk first about this letter. It was uh, very detailed, and it had many allegations. Talk with us about that. Sure. Well, this email was addressed specifically to Dr. Mosley, the president, and it ran to about 10 pages long. It was about 6,000 words. Um, It began with a very poignant line, Lincoln, where it began and where it ends. Um, And it details, as an academic person would do, very clearly, succinctly, and rather rationally, a lot of incidents that occurred over her less than one year in the job as Vice President of Student Affairs at Lincoln, including 18 succinct and distinct points that she tells uh, Mosley he needs to do to improve the work environment at Lincoln and the overall outlook for the university. Mm -hmm. Um, She mentions a key staffer who has a criminal record. She asks why this person is so close to the president and has such a a leading role in the in the administration. She she speaks to specific incidents and times when she asked for help, feedback, um, support, and did not get it. She uh, admits that she has struggled with mental illness and includes re- times and dates when she asked the administration, the board, even the board of curators for um, family medical leave so that she could deal with the problem and was basically rebuffed Mm -hmm. or ignored. And um, all in all, it's really an indictment. Um, One of the alumni I interviewed called it a manifesto of not just her own concerns, but concern for the university, of which she was an alumna, by the way. She was a graduate. And um, just a really heartbreaking look at what can happen in a workplace, um, and um, what sort of the blind spots might be in a setting like like that. Mm -hmm. So this letter, 10 pages long, and there is so much detail there, um, I, I don't think it's hard to imagine why it would hit so hard. But what what do you gather about the kind of response there has been to the letter and its contents, and also the way that it was delivered. Yes. um, She wrote the email on the morning of um, January 8th, or that's when it was sent. It went to a wide uh, circle. 
of people, including alumni, colleagues, friends, family. Um, and to me, I was so struck by the fact that she would have been sitting at her computer writing this out, knowing that by the end of the email, she was going to choose her exit by uh, taking her own life by suicide. And I think that is a huge piece of why this is so shocking to people. It also resonates, I think, uh, especially with black women who have found themselves in relatively advanced positions in their career, but continue to fight for a positive work environment, for opportunity to take their place at the table. And when they take their place at the table, they may find themselves being elbowed aside. I've received emails from alumni after my my stories um, came out um, thanking me and thanking the Midwest Newsroom for shining this light. Um, a lot of times we don't get a lot of insight into what happens in higher education. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of higher education beat reporting it's similar to how much reporting do we get out of a corner office in, in uh, corporate America, you know, although there's more reporting there. So I think that a lot of those factors play into it. Also, she was beloved um, by students, by colleagues, and um, at other jobs that she'd had, mm-hmm. um, places that she'd been. She was an active sorority member of um, Alpha, Alpha Kappa Alpha. She was active in the the Alumni Association of Lincoln. And, you know, there's a mental health factor. We can, many of us can relate to those struggles. And when that collides with your work and a feeling of not being supported, that resonates across a lot of of sectors of work. Mm-hmm. Now, since January 8th, which was when the the email was sent out, um, what has the response been from Dr. Mosley, as well as from the school and the board of curators? Sure. Well, um, fairly quickly, um, Dr. Mosley um, took a voluntary paid leave. So that happened within a few days. Uh, the Board of Curators also, uh, within a few days, announced it would be seeking a third party to investigate and review what happened, but also overall the university's processes and systems. And since then, they have hired a St. Louis-based law firm to be that third party, so that is underway. Um, the Board of Curators, interestingly, um, has been uh, sending out its updates via its own letterhead via the university, but on Board of Curators letterhead, um, they sent their last message out to the public was that announcement of the law firm. Um, They do have a regular meeting that was already on the calendar. That's for February 8th. Um, So that'll be really interesting to see what happens there, who who attends from the public, students, alumni. Interestingly, um, the head of the a National Alumni Association, Dr. Sherman Bonds, he was one of the first to call out what had happened publicly. He wrote a public letter to the Board of Curators president, a man named Victor Paisley, he's here in Missouri, and said, we need a change. And that letter itself was heartrending. He he called the university, uh, described the university as being in dis- despair and, and needing change, immediate change. And he told me that the Board of Curators, no one responded to him, to Mm -hmm. that letter. And he's the national head of the Alumni Association. And I think something that's interesting about the alumni of Lincoln University, you had told me how far and wide 
they yep yeah t- talk about they that. are very engaged <laughs> they um there in any almost any major u s city you can think of there is an alumni association um Dr. Bonds could not count the number of people who are alumni. That's going to be a lot of people. But he said there's a core of about 700 people who work financially for the Alumni Association to raise funds, maybe a dollar, maybe thousands, and help recruit to get kids to Lincoln Mm -hmm. on scholarships. So they're very active. And, in fact, the three emails that I received right after the story all of those people were alumni <laughs> mm. from different parts of the country who had found our story, not even just in the Midwest. And because Lincoln does draw from around the country, it's here in Missouri, but it draws from all states. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think you see this network that's so wide and perhaps why the word spread in this in this way. Mm-hmm. Holly, can you clarify what the relationship is between Dr. John Mosley and the Board of Curators, just so we have some sense of like what is accountability, like how does it look, how might it, how, how might it operate? Sure. Well, um, basically, the governor of the state, which uh, Governor Parson, uh, appoints the Board of Curators. They have varying terms. Um, they are supposed to rotate the presidency through the, the board. And the Board of Curators has oversight over the university. They will be the ones to appoint the president after a um, job search, like many workplaces will have. Um, Dr. Mosley was interim president for a while, um, and then in 2022, he got the job permanently. Basically, um, he reports to the Board of Curators. And one of the things that's interesting, too, is I've talked to people who have worked in academic settings. And generally speaking, the Board of Curators tends to take um, a quiet role of of sort of steering the university. I've been told that um, in the case of Lincoln, they this particular board takes quite an active role in the, um, the very sort of um, even day-to-day affairs of the university, which is um, quite different from many settings where you see a board of a similar type with a president. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was brought up in Kadia Bailey's um, letter had to do with micromanagement. So there's sort of an interesting intersection right. there. So as far as the ramifications of this story, um, and, and with the letter... It occurred to me that it it was not so much a cry for help because Bonnie had already made up her mind, um, even as she was hitting send on that email. It's more of a a demand for justice. Is this also the way that um, alumni and students and other other folks who are kind of standing up um, in in Candia Bailey's absence, is that what they're saying? Absolutely. Like I said, you know, the um, this one uh, alumni that I spoke with, alumnus Antonio Lewis, who is the who's a city council member for the city of Atlanta. So no one who's a stranger to big institutions and complex institutions. He called it a manifesto, and he said it's it's a chronicle of what he calls a go along to get along culture. And what she did was step outside of her own distress to leave behind a message, a rallying cry for the university. And uh, a lot of people love their alma mater. I found the people who went to Lincoln that I've spoken with and go to Lincoln 
are just passionate about it. Um, they feel, I've heard this many times, Lincoln made me who I am. And when you feel that connection to your alma mater, you want it to succeed. You want other students who go there to shine. And I think the dismay um, is linked to the sense of their university struggling. Holly, thank you so much for talking with us today. You're welcome. Holly Ajol is managing editor of the Midwest Newsroom, which is a collaboration of NPR member stations in Missouri, Kansas, Iowa, and Nebraska. You can read Holly's story on our website. That's stlpr.org. Coming up, what research says about who experiences workplace bullying most and some of your personal stories, too. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. In preparation for today's St. Louis on the Air discussions of workplace bullying, we asked you to share your stories and your experiences, and these are a few of the personal anecdotes we heard. Luis from Fairview Heights is Mexican and moved to the St. Louis area to work in academia. He spoke to being othered in his workplace, which is predominantly white. I don't feel comfortable just being myself and taking off that mask. Uh, I feel that the white gaze really looks at me and others me. I feel, you know, there's this feeling of, there's a sense of not feeling completely safe, um, feeling left out. And I think just by that, it's already bothering. Marie from St. Louis works in construction a predominantly male industry. She told us about her hostile work environment. There was one colleague in particular that yelled at me in the middle of the office very violently. Um, there was one male colleague that would lie and try to throw me under the bus. You know, he would lie to try to make me look bad or get me in trouble. And um, then I got a phone call a few months later that that person was going to be my new boss. And I always remember that because, like, my, I was on vacation and my stomach just sank because I knew it wasn't going to be good. Elizabeth from downtown St. Louis is a communications professional. For her, workplace bullying took the form of racialized microaggressions. I remember even in my recruiting process, um, comments being made about my hair or um, even in... Some of my first, my earliest jobs, um, hearing the words like colored, um, just really offensive stuff, uh, or even just telling the difference in how I was spoken to at meetings versus other people. Um, yeah, I, I, I could go on and on. That was Elizabeth from downtown St. Louis, Marie from St. Louis, and Luis from Fairview Heights. Each of them spoke to their personal experiences of being on the receiving end of bullying on the job. These are just a few of the comments and stories folks shared with us, but they point to how commonplace workplace bullying is. In fact, there was a time when bullying was regarded as an unpleasant fact of life, almost a rite of passage for school children in particular. In recent years, however, bullyings come under greater scrutiny in various contexts, including workplaces full of adults, not kids, with multiple professional degrees. 
Recent news about the death of Antoinette Bonnie Candia Bailey, a former vice president of student affairs at her alma mater and the historically black Lincoln University, has brought toxic work environments to the fore. But before being a phenomenon with career trajectory consequences, workplace bullying is first a lived experience. And data, research, and personal anecdotes show the brunt of workplace bullying is endured by those who are part of marginalized communities, especially black women. To talk with us about such research and why addressing toxic workplace conduct and culture is a matter of real urgency, we welcome Adia Harvey Wingfield. Adia is Professor of Sociology and Vice Dean of Faculty Development and Diversity at Washington University and the author of several books about the ways race, gender, and class affect social processes at work. Adia, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me back. Now, the mainstream media and general public have been discussing workplace bullying because of recent coverage around Bonnie Candia Bailey's passing and that letter that she wrote with detailed allegations about the workplace bullying she experienced. So to some extent, the discussion makes sense because people have some general sense of what workplace bullying looks like in real life. Adia, what are the facets, though, to what happened at Lincoln University that bear closer examination, um, particularly factors that folks might either be discounting or overlooking? Yeah, I mean, I think the things that we want to think about are people who seem as if they are in jobs that might seem secure, comfortable, and safe, and the interpersonal dynamics that are likely affecting them in these workplaces that may not make these jobs as secure and comfortable and safe as we might think. I think from the outside, you might look in at someone uh, in the situation who's an academic leader and who seems to be on solid ground, who seems to be in a uh, high-profile uh, really rewarding role. But what that doesn't always tell us are what those dynamics look like and the interactions that that person might be experiencing in that workplace. And that's where we start to see the bullying come in, in mm-hmm. the ways that people can be intentionally uh, excluded from important meetings and conversations, the ways that people might experience uh, outright aggression and harassment, racial slurs, things like that. Uh, I think that's where we want to be mindful of the fact that just because things might look glossy and pretty on the outside doesn't necessarily portend what's going on for those people in those environments. Mm-hmm. And what is it that we should be attentive to about the specifics of a uh, of a setting or location? Yeah, I think what we want to look at is what people's interactions look like in those workspaces. Do people feel as if they are able to speak honestly about their experiences? Do they feel as if they're able to contribute fully? Do they feel as if they have respectful relationships with their colleagues, with their supervisors. And data shows that when we're talking about black women, often that's not the case. Black women are the group that's likely to report the most amount of distance between them and their supervisors and managers, despite having aspirations for advancement and interest in mobility and moving into leadership roles. Mm -hmm. So I think we want to look at the extent to which people feel respected, that their contributions matter, that they are included in workplaces. And often the data show that for, as you mentioned, underrepresented groups, that's often not the case. Mm -hmm. What is the toll that comes with being uh, part of a, a minority group and working in, for example, in a predominantly white institution Right. And so this is where we see a lot of challenges and particularly where we're where we see some of these examples of bullying and workplace hostility being present. 
We know that black workers are very much underrepresented in most predominantly white professional spaces. And with that underrepresentation is not just the experience of numbers, it's the experience of having to constantly defend and explain their qualifications, of seeing and experiencing people without the same qualifications advance past them on the promotion ladder. I talk in a lot of my research about the mental health toll that this takes on black workers, which seems particularly relevant given our conversation. Mm -hmm. I've talked with black workers, particularly black women, who have been very successful but who have experienced onslaughts of racist aggression and hostility and found that the workplaces where they were employed didn't really do much about it and didn't seem to have a protocol in place to address or even acknowledge that, right? So these experiences of having your uh, skills constantly doubted, skills that you've worked hard to hone and to demonstrate, of seeing that your contributions are not rewarded, of seeing that racist hostilities and sexist hostilities can occur with impunity, all those things take a toll. And these are the types of things that are really pronounced for black workers in these environments. Right. And in Bonnie uh, Candia Bailey's case, she wrote this letter and it really laid out, I mean, even gave dates and, and times. Obviously, I mean, what she left behind is a, a record. Um, what kind of recourse do people typically have or you know what do they do in the absence of those protocols that you're talking about yeah i mean a lot of times i think we see the with the absence of these protocols i think a lot of the times we see people weathering this personal toll themselves right the Issues and the tensions and the problems build up internally, which can have not only mental health consequences, but physical health consequences in terms of hypertension, weight gain, uh, other forms of stress that manifest in the body. Sometimes we also see workers uh, attempting to form solidarity networks amongst themselves. And those can be really valuable because that reinforces to people that they're not experiencing something alone, that they have support and they have connections. But ultimately, I have to say, as a social scientist who thinks about organizations, those approaches are not really as effective and helpful as when organizations take on this awareness and this effort to try to acknowledge and address these issues and try to change them from a structural level and perspective, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately, we have a lot of companies that say that they want diversity. If you want diversity, part of what that means is recognizing that your employees may be going through some things and that it's incumbent upon you as organizational leaders to know about that and to try to put protocols in place that address and try to resolve those things. Mm -hmm. In the space of higher education, um, there is a, it, there have been a, a few examples of what you mentioned insofar as um, that stress showing up in the body. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that um, and whether those instances sort of moved uh, the, the proverbial, you know, the, the needle forward in any way? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that there is evidence that those accounts have moved the needle. I don't think that we are necessarily seeing organizations institute uh, protocols and procedures designed to address the challenges that black workers are facing. When we talk about, for example, like you just mentioned, the way that uh, these experiences manifest in the body, like I said, the data suggests that when uh, workers 
feel as if they are experiencing heightened levels of racist harassment or aggression or what have you, that manifests as heightened stress. It manifests as hypertension. It manifests as it can manifest as uh, challenges with obesity and weight gain. These are very real physical health consequences, apart from the mental health strain that this puts workers under in the first place. But I think when we take the a survey and a landscape of what organizations are doing right now, we aren't seeing them delve more deeply into how they can put into place practices that focus on promoting workers' health and practices that focus on acknowledging and curtailing racist harassment in workplaces. Instead, right now, what we're seeing is companies really retreating from just basic DEI initiatives, right, and responding to the types of um, outcry and pushback that they're seeing around these efforts towards diversity and equity and inclusion. In my view, that is not reflective of the science and the data, and that's not a way forward that speaks to the prevalence of these challenges. Mm -hmm. And again, to the space of higher education, there have been cases in which um, women, black women, in the academy have publicly suffered. Yeah. Talk about that. I think that that is something important to to touch upon um, because of the way there's been so much attention in mainstream media to what has happened at, at Lincoln University and with uh, Bonnie Candia Bailey. Right. Yeah. So one example would be Dr. Joanne Epps of Temple University, who died suddenly, actually while on stage during her work for Temple, and Dr. Orinthia Montague of Volunteer State Community College, who died shortly after Dr. Epps died. So we've got these examples of black women leaders who are administrators doing this impactful, significant work, but also paying a pretty serious fatal toll for the work that they are doing. Mm -hmm. Now we're seeing this. And I think it's it's very troubling. As a black woman in higher education, it's really concerning to see black woman leaders moving into these roles and to see the cost of the toll that this work takes on them, particularly when it's a toll that is this final and this absolute. It's very jarring to see that, particularly when you consider that uh, black women are very much underrepresented in higher education mm -hmm. and certainly in higher education leadership roles. I yeah. believe black women constitute uh, less than 5% of tenured full professors in the academy writ large. And mm -hmm. so when we think about their numbers and leadership roles, they're not represented at parity in the, the population. They are underrepresented in those roles too. And what we are seeing is that those women are not only underrepresented, they are not only the subject of targeted attacks and harassment, they're dying. Mm -hmm. And it's sobering and it's bleak and it's really troubling. Right. And I think Penn State alumna and teacher Yaya M. Hunt um, died unexpectedly at the age of 26 on December 29th, 2019. Um, and that was in uh, a setting, it was a PWI, mm -hmm. predominantly white institution. But something about Bailey's death, her being a black woman in a leadership role at a, an historically black university, what has your research shown about um, you know, the impression of safety versus the reality of safety for folks who are supposed to be, um, you know, in places that do have their best interests at heart. Right. I mean, I think this goes back to some of what I was talking about before, that we might think that people who are in leadership roles, people who are in high-ranking positions are somewhat above some of these challenges, right? They've made it, so to speak, and it looks like they're safe. It looks like they're comfortable. And we might think if we we're talking about HBCUs and historically black colleges and universities, 
that certainly is part of the reputation that I think they have for students in particular. These are the safe spaces. These are the places where students can and should feel comfortable to be themselves and that they should feel as if they are fully embraced. So I think it just goes to show that um, when it comes to, again, the experiences of black women working in these environments, we want to be a little bit more circumspect about just how safe these environments are. Leadership roles do not protect you. High-ranking positions in the organization will not protect you. Working at HBCU, unfortunately, will not necessarily protect you. Um, And that until organizations start to be more aware of the myriad of challenges black women are facing and respond accordingly, these are dangerous jobs in some ways. Mm -hmm. How is it that you make the case um, that there are stakes that go beyond individual people? What does that conversation look like? So I think if we're talking about the stakes going beyond individual people, it's useful to think about who we are as a society and what we want our society to be, right? And one of the things that we know is that America is a very diverse place, and it is only becoming increasingly more diverse. So what is that going to mean for the institutions that are bedrock to our society and where those institutions go? Are we going to continue having institutions that are backward looking and are replicative of past generations and past decades? Or are we going to have institutions that are forward thinking that reflect the diversity of America? If we're going to have those institutions, and I think that just makes sense given what our population looks like, then those institutions have to be places where people from all backgrounds can thrive, can succeed, can bring themselves to work and fully contribute and participate to the organizations. They cannot and should be places where black women are literally dying when they are trying to lead. Mm -hmm. Now, we've heard from folks in our audience on social media about the ways they have experienced workplace bullying. And a commonality there is this sense of hopelessness. We have a tragic example of what hopelessness can lead to. And uh, as our producer, Maya Norfley put it, it has been past time to come up with solutions. What sort of work must be done to make workplaces emotionally and you know, mentally or psychologically safe for professionals of all backgrounds? Yes, this is my favorite question, because now we're talking about solutions and things that we can actually do, right? And so I talk about this a lot in my my research. We've talked before about uh, my book, Gray Areas, and some of the challenges that black workers face in that environment. One of the things that I really want to emphasize from that work and that of my colleagues is that there are data-proven points that organizations can take to try to address the things that we've been talking about. And a lot of those involve making sure that they are environments that speak to and build on the potential and successes that workers of all races can have, rather than being very narrowly focused. Companies can do that through mentoring programs that are open to everyone and that involve everyone rather than being invitation only. They can do that through making sure that people in companies are experiencing cross-training, where they're working with people in different parts of the company. They can do it through making sure that there are uh, opportunities for people to connect with and have relationships with senior leaders, right, instead of just assuming that that will happen organically and that if it happens organically, everyone has an opportunity. Companies can also institute flex time and making sure that they have flexible workplace policies. And the interesting thing about this is that a lot of these solutions are not ones that are explicitly or overtly race conscious, right? These aren't 
programs that ask people to come to a mandatory diversity training where they get told that if they do anything wrong, they're going to get sued, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody (laughs) wants to hear that, and that makes people uncomfortable. But these are the policies that work, and these are the things that actually help for underrepresented workers of all backgrounds to see that the company wants you, it takes you seriously, it takes your concerns and issues seriously, and they want to bring you into the fold rather than pushing you back out. Mm Adia, thanks again so much for joining us today. Thank you. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade. Privileged black male. In for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Friday, January 26, 2024. For so I have been told. Our weekly broadcast, Neutralizing Workplace Racism. We talked about last week in detail. Antoinette Bonnie Candia Bailey, black female working at Lincoln University, a historically black university, so I have been told who took her life just a few days back this year. Additional details this week. Again, exactly what took place with Dr. Candia Bailey. That is exactly why we have had this broadcast and this segment specifically neutralizing workplace racism. Eight years. not for spectators being terrorized in the workplace has an enormous impact on your health your biology sleep patterns once again Fuller said or Dr. Welsing said really both really both literally if you are subject to the system of white supremacy racism you do not qualify for health. Neely Fuller Jr., Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. Add Gus T on that if you, you know, means anything. But that is totally true. And the workplace, the workplace really emphasizes that. Embarrassingly so sometimes. Find an outlet. This broadcast other non white people that you can talk to about racism. Really, that's one of also one of the factors for why we have neutralizing workplace racism. Specifically, so many non-white people, including Gus T, have said, dang, it's hard even sometimes talking about things that happen on the job with attempted family because they do not understand racism, white supremacy, or they avoid talking about racism. So they will just find a way, well, oh, you're making it up. Maybe you did something. You, you know, you didn't have on the right clothes or something of that. You know, that type of thing. They will not. They'll be very resistant to really. You think racism? Certainly not all. But man, I have heard that from many, many non-white people all over the world and not just people classified as black all kinds of non-white people where hey race soldiers have been very successful 
conditioning us to blame ourselves, which, man, that happens acutely in the workplace. They terrorize us and do all that, what they call it, gaslighting and everything else, lying. And then when all of these things go wrong, we blame ourselves, think we did something. It must be I'm defective because that's what they say, you know. Candia Bailey, get it together. You know, we, we can't intervene with all that. You got mental health problems. That's on you. Shame on you, you know. No, no, no. System of white supremacy, racism. They intend to terrorize all of us. Dr. Candia Bailey, all of us. Try to find folks to talk to, reach out to, especially, especially. If you're really feeling anxious, upset, not at ease, at least find someone that you can reach out to, talk to, especially if you can find someone where, hey, even if it's late, midnight, one, having trouble sleeping, where you can check in, get a little bit of companionship, try to help get your mind and correct thinking but this is a widespread problem and again why we have this broadcast neutralizing workplace racism not for spectators the number 605 313 5164 the code 564943pound press star 61 if you would like to participate number again 605-313-5164 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate the email until justice at gmail dot com until justice at gmail dot com. We'll read our emails as we proceed. Um, have to get to the last report first. There are two really important points. Not that the first two reports, you know, were insignificant but Dr. Antoinette Bonnie Candia Bailey that last report shiver me timbers so they had multiple guests they even had some listeners dial in and talk about their workplace victimization and such and then we heard from Adia Harvey Wingfield PhD gorgeous black female victim of white supremacy that report stood out to me for so many reasons. Why was that, Gus T? Why was that? Before I'd even heard a word. Number one, we just talked about this case last week. I was certainly looking for updates. I told you all, look for updates. Talk to your family about this case. It seems other people, this has got some traction nationally as it should any of your attempted relatives, if they do talk about racism, ask them, hey, did you hear what happened 
Lincoln University, Dr. Kandia Bailey. Oh my goodness. HBCU. You know anybody affiliated with an HBCU. Did you hear what happened at Lincoln? You know black educators. Did you hear what happened? Might be a way to begin the conversation about racism. I even, if I knew people who were in school to be educators, I would share this report. Might be a way to get them to begin thinking about racism, seriously worse racism in the workplace, mental health, lots. But anyway, I immediately uh, recognized Adia Harvey Wingfield, Ph.D., aside from Dr. Kendia Bailey, because Catherine Massey Book Club, we are reading We Were Once a Family to my chagrin. I said there were two books published in 2023. I really, and I mean, woo, up until midnight of the day we were going to read, struggled. Which do we read? Which do we read? The other book that I was trying to choose was Gray Areas. How about that for a title? Gray Areas, How the Way We Work Perpetuates Racism and What We Can Do to Fix it, Adia Harvey Wingfield. We were almost three. We would have been two sessions in to that book when we heard this audio today. I did not pick that book. We are reading We Were Once a Family. Two sessions in, I would say thumbs up right on and I would tell you all since it would be me that I'm blaming I would tell you all if I was dissatisfied with the choice and even knowing that it would gnaw at me a little bit like dang so Gusty you picked the white woman's book over the gorgeous black female's book that were both published in 2023 yes nothing to be proud of Now, part of the reason we didn't read that book is exactly what you just heard. And in fact, oh, I was so arrogant about that pick. I didn't even listen to that audio until we heard it together. I said, I'm going to listen and see if it confirms. Why did Gus T say, nah, I would rather take this racist suspects book and gripe about that for two weeks than to read gray areas because now I'm going to feel like man I'm not really going to be able to can I gross about it if a black female wrote this exactly what you heard right there that's why we didn't read this book and that's why we're white guests only now the book she said there are solutions there There was a different part of the book I was going to read, but skip that. Let's move to the end. And I even got a share. So the title, I'm going to do it this way so I can be a little bit better about it. Don't be an old coonish Negro, Gus. I'm trying. It's hard. Worthless Negro. Do better. Okay, so gray areas. It's hard. This making it so hard. Let me give you one that's just Gus T. Most of the non-white people who write books about racism are not accurate. Why is that? Because we are confused about what white white supremacy racism is, how it works. We can't be accurate 
about racism, white supremacy. Those right there are enormous problems. System of terrorism, all of us, we are afraid of upsetting white people. How much can I say? How accurate can I be? When I hear really anybody mention James Baldwin, danger, especially a white person, danger, and I've read a lot of James Baldwin, but man, victim of racism, danger, when I see the name Ibram X. Kendi, danger, danger, I do not expect it to be constructive. If a white person is quoting him, he's going to be a part of the event. He also victim of white supremacy, but he's at the top of the book for gray areas, giving his, you know, how they'll do like a one line or one sentence of the person's review to help promote the book. All right. So some of the chapters for this book, race blindness and the liberal paradox. That's chapter one. Chapter 4, Color Blindness and the Market. Chapter 6, The Case of Gig Work. Chapter 9, Black Women Opening Doors. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. Whoa, shout out to the new American classic, The Hate You Give, Part 3, Relational. Who's got your back? Which is beautiful because the chapter that I wanted to get to, the final chapter, moving on up. Shout to Sherman Helmsley. But that sort of thing, when I hear like those kind of Negroisms, uh, the Jeffersons, like an homage to Negro culture. <laughs> Are we really serious about solving this problem? Let me get to the, the takeaways. Okay, so she gives takeaways. Many companies are not designed to offer black workers the same opportunities for upward mobility as their white counterparts. Right on. Advancement doesn't always reflect just talents and skills. Subjective factors also affect which workers have opportunities for advancement. System of white supremacy. Black workers are less likely to have access to sponsors and mentors who can position them for mobility. What can be done? And then it breaks it down. So for the diversity, inclusion, equity practitioner, uh, I'm just following logic. I don't think anybody here practices any of that stuff. I think the people here practice white supremacy racism, but I guess maybe it depends on what you mean by D-I-E. Collect internal and benchmarking data. I do say get information so you know what's going on. That's pertinent. Use this data to explain internal patterns to company leaders. Partner with managers to provide input when they are making decisions about promotion. All of that could be done, but I mean, the position I've taken is that white people, is, this is not a problem of information that they don't have. That's what this seems to suggest. 
Uh, she says for the executive or senior manager, provide clear guidelines about expectations for promotion, serve as a mentor and sponsor to black employees. We could stop right there. If white people would do that, we wouldn't have a system of white supremacy racism. White people don't do that. And, and from the looks of it, white people in total have no interest in doing that. In fact, that's what we heard yesterday in the book that we did read. That was one of the reasons that was given for why white people should adopt black children because they said, hey, it doesn't look like we're going to be hooking up the Negroes anytime soon and trying to improve their socioeconomic standing, get them better jobs and housing so they can have more bedrooms. So in lieu of all that, just give us the nigger babies. I'm paraphrasing, but I mean, just a teaspoon. Okay, so these are some of the suggestions that you just heard. Uh, you know, eh. I'm going to go back and give you what I wanted to read from the uh, beginning of all of this. This was <laughs> this was a part of now. Why did we not read this book again? And I will concede. I'm sure there's great information you heard her talk about, which I thought was important. Even the people non-white classified as black who have high paying jobs big office shiny desk might even be on television from time to time even they are victims of racism and are being mistreated on the job that's one thing we should have at least learned from the Obama years right that's ancient history I know but still that is very important but that would not be enough to offset you know so I'm picking up this is from chapter 15 when white women are roadblocks so I'm picking up <clears throat> I asked Kevin Kevin is a black male she talks about I asked Kevin to tell me more reflecting on his work history he again compared his time in the corporate world with his experience in nonprofits, and thought about how his colleagues in both environments moved ahead in corporate settings, he told me the way white boys operate is they make quantum leaps. By this, he meant that his colleagues who were white men found opportunities to develop and nurture informal networks and connections that allowed them to climb and even skip rungs on the career ladder. I just want to pause because one word in that sentence I thought found is so passive for all of the cronyism and lying that goes on nepotism that is not I found I mean when you say found if you mean my homie we're frat brothers and he texted me some years ago and told me oh man yeah we're gonna hook you up get your job don't even worry about it just come on in wink wink we got you for the interview and all that now that's what you mean when you say found or my uncle works in HR or my aunt is on the executive board if that's what you mean when you say found but that's really really but that's just strive for accuracy man okay continuing uh, quantum leaps for the white dudes um, initially Kevin assumed that hard work would meet him the same, would net him the same results dumb Kevin but he quickly realized that advancement required more than just doing his job well 
Drink the beers. Watch SEC football. Set up time to have a conversation with Mike about what I got to do, he said. That's the things I didn't realize I needed to do. And for a lot of black guys, you don't realize till it's too late. Didn't Dr. Welsing say that by the time a fool learns the rules, the game has ended. If I may add, that would be another one. Now, who is more informed about racism? This would really be where it counts, right? On the job. That's really where I'm going to flex my racist genius in dealing with Whitey. In the bank, advancement required connecting with white men and fitting into a particular culture. What culture is that? Hmm, that word again. We heard that in the audio, I thought. What culture did they keep talking about? I think the title of that was A Culture of Racism in Puyallup. And I know where Puyallup is. Oh, it was Pierce County. It was Pierce County, not Puyallup. Puyallup is a part of Pierce County for people not in Washington State. Any hoodles. Culture. Moving ahead in nonprofit spaces was a very different process, and this is where the dynamics of who Kevin could trust and who he couldn't again emerged in sharp relief. It's the same every time I'm managed by a white woman, he told me. They're initially nice and friendly, yet we have no rapport. So then when I need feedback, it's obtuse, given with a side eye. We have this impasse and then I feel like it's I need to leave because I feel like I'm going to be fired <laughs> black male privilege black male privilege black male privilege okay if I work with a black woman I succeed get feedback do well at another job I was managed by a black man and a white man that was always good fine but in the nonprofit space it is a world of mostly white women i believe i'm speaking the story of many other black males in nonprofits or education who have to hide or disfigure themselves or they would be kicked out the door what what <laughs> time out because all that's in quotes what do you mean disfigure what black kevin what Break that down, brother. What What do you mean? Like castrated? What do you mean? Disfigured? Are you disabled? Did they chop off a foot? What do you mean? Disfigured? What the? <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Like, it, that's the type of thing that I mean right there. Like, I, I have to read this and see. Because maybe you got lots of people saying that. But I mean, that is so, st like, disfigured. What do you mean? What do you mean? I would even have to say something about that, like disfigured. Jesus Christ. Black male privilege? What? Now, 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 now. Take what you just heard. I'm about to be kicked out the door, castrated, disfigured. I'm about to be fired. Now, in big capital letters, bold face print and larger font, white women and black men allies 
obstacles. Now, I know I am a privileged black male, worthless Negro from Virginia, but I mean, really, really, really. I am not fitting to sit here in 2025 and read a book where white women are talked about and and even there's a suggestion that for anybody in the known universe, your problem with a job or employment, white women and me are put on. Oh my God, I could that among many reasons. That's why we're not reading this book. And in fact, what have I said for years? Did you hear that? They just leave out. They didn't even mention Kevin during the audio segment. The audio segment was exclusively black females. So are you telling me that black males do not experience racism in higher education? Is that what you're telling me? And why is that every time we talk about labor on white dominated outlets black males are not going to be a part of the job discussion if we talk about racism in the workplace it's going to be female people of color or black females exclusively now when they went to underrepresentation in higher education that alone that's why I said man anytime you hear a discussion about racism and they totally totally leave out black males you don't even have to tell me that black males are are the most bullied or just black people period that's all you could have done do the segment and just black people rock and roll they don't do that and consistently that's not what they do it's just black females when you talk about underrepresentation in higher education by the data and the data for like decades no one is more underrepresented than black males she mentioned higher education okay black females report I'm looking at National Center for Education Statistics fall 2021 4% of faculty members classified as black female specifically 3% black males that's why I said you don't even have to say black and you know in terms of student enrollment that's why it's no surprise that they're going to be even fewer black males because they don't even allow Leroy to get to college in the first place so if you're going to talk about underrepresentation in higher education that would be black people in total really non-white people in total you want to focus on black people for Miss or Dr. Kandia Bailey? Fine. Black people into nah, 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 nah. Get out of here, Leroy. Get out of here, Jamal. Privilege. Nah. All of that reinforces white supremacy racism, particularly if what's waiting for me on the back end, a book that's going to be promoted where white women and black men allies or obstacles if you don't understand the system of white supremacy racism what it is how it works everything else will confuse you
going on the job, you don't have allies. United Independent. Haven't I said that for the longest? United Independent. I also do not say go on the job. Now you got to watch out for those white women. And old Leroy, they work together and they get you all hemmed up. What? <laughs> Leroy isn't cool, but I mean, hey, the folks who are in char- charge on this here job, classified as white, generally speaking. Even if you got some so-called black supervisors. Hmm. How did they get this job again? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Anywho, uh, the book, I'm sure she has constructive information in the book. I included all of that as a preface about Kevin, just because she does talk to black males in the book. Gray areas, how the way we work perpetuates racism and what we can do to fix it. Not going to be coming up in the Catherine Massey book club anytime soon. Incidentally, this reminded me of Alison Manswell's listen in black female. She also wrote a book about racism in the workplace. She was a guest on the program in 2016. She specifically, she said when she goes out to give her talks and what have you and do coaching to non-white people around workplace issues, she said, I can't even give the same suggestion to black females that I do to black males because I tell black females to stand up. You stand up straight. You speak out lots of black self-respect so that you can be heard and they take you seriously. And she said, now for black males, Leroy, quiet down, Leroy. Matter of fact, sit down, Leroy. You don't stand and hover all big, hulking, strapping, raping Lyra, sit down. Quiet yourself. What she said? What did he? What did he say? What Kevin said? What Kevin? Kevin said? I got to. I got to. I got to disfigure. Now, that's exactly what Allison Manswell said. She just didn't put that verb on it. I got to disfigure. That's not what she said. She said, "Did you just get shh? Be quiet. Don't stand erect. Sit down." Don't hover closely to people. Don't get in their space. Don't speak aggressively. (laughs) She had to do all of that. I guess maybe that's what they mean. Disfigure yourself and hope you don't get fired and kicked out. Black male privilege. Any hoodles. uh, The number 605-313-5151. Six four, the code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. The email until justice at gmail dot com. We have folks who read that book you can let us know as well if anyone found gray areas prior to today but was published in 2023 let's see uh folks who have commentary and such they spectating getting their thoughts together not sure uh should not if we have spectators my goodness hey if you have figured out how to not end up terrorized abused in your work environment my goodness let us know how did you figure all of that out? 
we need all the tips you can share so if you can take some time jot down some notes about your phone and write down a few you know tidbits and things that we can copy and apply to our own workplace we would be grateful I'll give folks a second I'll read uh, one of the emails until justice at gmail.com actually before I get to an email I said there were two important points I thought I'd do the one and then get to folks who dialed in but if they're taking a moment to process and all that we'll get to the other important point so check the news say that all the time Uh, that report talking about Dr. Uh, Kandia Bailey and even the report where they had this week speaking with uh, Adia Harvey Wingfield PhD uh, that was in the news this week St. Louis Public Radio and they had many news outlets especially in the Missouri area where they were talking about all of that at Lincoln University and the protests that are coming up and what's going to happen racism in the workplace even before all of that they were talking about gray areas in the news just because it was published recently. It just came out last year, relatively new. And even they'll do like end of year uh, reviews of some of the books that came out that were popular or important, that sort of thing. This was on a number of those lists and what have you. So check the news. That can be one way that you get specifically information about labor and racism. Uh, So I was checking the news as I do normally uh, for things related to racism report pops up. Uh, this is <clears throat> the times. I'm not sure if this is local. I guess this is local. Um, former corrections officer alleges racism and retaliation from Beaver County jail administration. Federal lawsuit, and this is from uh, January 19. A federal lawsuit has been filed against the Beaver County Jail with a former employee claiming that administrators fired him after he complained about discrimination against him. The lawsuit, which started in Beaver County's court system late last year, alleges Officer Titus Shields experienced racial slurs, race discrimination. That's odd because they normally don't, it's normally racial, but this is race discrimination and harassment from colleagues while working at Beaver County Jail after he was employed in February 2022. In the lawsuit, Shields said these incidents were repeatedly brought to the attention of Warden William Shoup until the officer was allegedly wrongfully terminated. Beaver County tolerated blatant race discrimination against Officer Shields, a corrections officer and black inmates. The lawsuit says Officer Shields moved to Western Pennsylvania from California seeking a better life, but instead had to endure horrific racism, including but not limited to the use of the N-word directed towards him and the vandalization of Officer Shields' vehicle with Negro. I can't do it. I can't do it. None of that is why I was reading this. I can't emphasize that enough. None of what you just heard is why I was reading this. And I was even, I hadn't seen that before. Uh, Caught me off guard a little bit. Right on. Tag the vehicle, Negra. Yes. Officer Shields was told that he belonged in an inmate uniform because of his race. Black. (laughs) As of January 18th. 
Legal representation for Beaver County Jail had not filed their response, but this document is expected to be submitted by the end of the month. Commissioner Jack Manning, who oversees the Beaver County Prison Board, told the Times that officials disagree with the statements Shields provided in the lawsuit. Obviously, we've turned it over to let the courts decide, but this is a terminated employee and we happen to disagree with his premises. Manning said, we'll go through the court process and see what happens, but we highly disagree. We believe the facts are much different than what he's alleging. What does the lawsuit say? Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Shields has publicly posted about his alleged experiences as an officer at the Beaver County Jail via multiple TikTok videos since October 2022. The public page features several unverified claims about criminal activity conducted by the jail's personnel, which are not included in the lawsuit and other posts contain multiple alt-right conspiracy theories. Hmm. What does the lawsuit say? According to Shields, he began working for the Beaver County Jail in late February 2022 and received consistently good feedback until he began to report racial discrimination from other employees. He said racial discrimination started almost immediately after joining the staff with the first recorded incident at the jail occurring on March 9 when his car was vandalized. Several instances of harassment allegedly came from one officer whom Shields claims in the lawsuit told him he is a racist, in quotes. Wow. Uh, we get, get that right and written down. See if you can even get them to sign it. Other witnesses, if you have somebody in a work like that's stunning. If you have someone in a workplace who says, uh, look here, Leroy, you and the other colored fellas just want you all to know I am a racist write that down date time can you say did I hear that correctly because that's crazy you didn't mean a racist that's not what you said you said what did you say you didn't say you said a chasis what did you say and just get them to repeat it yeah I Cause you didn't, I know you didn't say you no racist. Did you say you're a racist? What? Write that down. Like I can't even believe somebody would say that unless maybe I didn't read it correctly. Unless he was implying that Mr. Shields was racist uh, for whatever reasons. It didn't seem like that would make sense. Cause he didn't give a, a reason like, you know, she, I, I found you got Louis Farrakhan's book and blah, blah, blah. And you know, you voted for Obama. <laughs> like they didn't do that. So if you hear anybody on a job saying that they are a racist, right sign date as many witnesses as possible that i mean bam you got a for sure workplace journal entry on that day throughout their interactions shield said the officer had shown incarcerated people social media pages belonging to shields and shared what the officer had written about them in the pods logbook what in the world what in <laughs> If anything, I can pause right there. I, we talked about social media for years. I would not be on social media. The, the, the late grandsaster, Dr. Cambon, he told us for years, don't be on social media. And he connected it directly to the workplace. He said that you do not want your white coworkers or your non-white coworkers. Really? Uh, I do agree with, uh, unfortunately with that component Adia Harvey Wingfield, no, we do not have any allies in the workplace. As such, I do not need anybody that I work with snooping around. Yeah, what you checking out on IG? Who you who you following? You know, that, that, that. 
Nah. If you're going to use any of that, it shouldn't be under your name because they'll snoop. You know, if you have it in your name, if his, I don't know, maybe his social media was under Titus Shields. And so these race soldiers that he work with, that he works with, that's what they do. Maybe they're on the job, on their phone or what have you, just scrolling like Titus. Oh, I found him on TikTok. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Don't be on social media or don't be on social media under your name. Maybe make your page or content private. And then definitely you are not friends, right? In quote, social media with any of your coworkers. I wouldn't even be connected to the non-white coworkers. I've said that before too, because then you don't know, you know, how codified are they? They see some content on your page and then they go share it with all the white people at work. That could happen. Uh, let's see. It continues. Uh, these actions prompted Shields to file a grievance, which he said Shoop dismissed. According to Shields, the warden told him to find some way to deal with it or you're going to lose your job. After this grievance, he said altercations with the officer continued and escalated throughout the year. In another instance, Shields filed a grievance shortly after he was denied overtime during the Easter season, but white co-workers were permitted these extra hours. After filing this grievance, Shields said Deputy Warden Ethel White told him to get over it. It's not about you. Another black officer at the jail also allegedly told Shields after this incident that the work it the work environment at the prison was very racist. That is amazing because <laughs> it's in quotes again. I just said that is kind of rare in all these years and everything. People don't even say racist. They'll say prejudice, bigoted. I can't say he's a hundred percent racist. Like they'll do all these ways of pussyfooting it, uh, but very racist. Like, oh no, we're not gonna sugarcoat it. We're not gonna put. Let me tell you, very racist environment, and to keep his head down. Now I don't know if that's a metaphor. Or is that a literal thing? Because there's a lot of violence in these sort of greater confinement areas, unless I'm misinformed. And unless I'm misinformed, sometimes, hey, hey, they said retaliation. Hey, yeah, you better keep your head that we put you in a dangerous, dangerous type environment and we don't have your back. Or we just jump you, you know, whatever man it sounds like a super dangerous toxic racist work environment they didn't just say all that. They said very racist work environment uh, that's the sort of thing where I would be thinking now what are the prospects that this is going to improve drastically over the next five years next ten years do I want to stay here that long to see all of these improvements nah let me get my exit strategy together pronto because that's the sort of place where you could die and they have that we talked about that and played some reports where they have work environments that are so unsafe racist all of the above they don't follow proper protocols where you could end up being killed seriously injured how much I mean really how much money do you make and and they're not even giving you all the money uh, overtime denied man talk about that wage theft all the time now 
None of that is why I read this report. None of that. None of that. Not one detail. So that is from the Pennsylvania news outlet, The Times. I saw this report from Black Information Network. Same situation. Now, I will add, this report is from a couple days later, January 23, 2024. So maybe, you know, they had a little bit more time to research, do some digging, make some calls, whatever. Uh, So this report is titled, if you're eating, my apologies, or if you just ate, if you want to, you know, pause, gather yourself. Okay, got your warning. Black jail officer found spit and snot in lunch called N-word. Now, this report, a former Pennsylvania corrections officer has filed a lawsuit over alleged racial discrimination at Beaver County Jail. In the lawsuit, Titus Shields alleges he was forced to work in a hostile work environment and later fired after he reported racial abuse suffered by black inmates in the Aliquippa, Pennsylvania jail. Officers would allegedly remove inmates' mattresses and bedding during freezing conditions, which caused one inmate's legs to swell and start to burst with blood and blisters. According to Shields, one inmate was strapped to a restraint chair and assaulted by several officers. When an officer questioned the use of excessive force, Sergeant DeCanini allegedly said, What excessive force? It's part of your job, dude. Shields also claimed that an inmate was called Porch Monkey and Undersized Negra, among other racial slurs. When the inmate asked about his meal, he was told, I can find you a banana, according to Shields. Shields said he was asked to engage in the abuse of inmates. The former corrections officer said when he reported the abuse and said he no longer felt safe, Deputy Warden White, no joke, his name is White, allegedly told him, get over it. It's not about you. According to Shields, a a fellow black sergeant said, yes, it is very racist here and you have to watch your back. (laughs) I can't take it. I can't take it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought I thought I got your back. That's not even it, man. I thought they supposed to say, I got your black. I got your back, black brother. That That's what they said. The hate you give. And there was that. I got your back. I got your back. What do you mean? What do you mean? It's racist around here. Watch your back. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's what the inmates say. That's what the inmates say. If I'm a snitch, I'm snitchy McRat. I dropped, dropped a dime, right? As they say, I ratted out my homies. We robbed the bank and it didn't go down correctly. And we got caught in everything. <laughs> we get napped up. That's what they come tell you in the mess hall, right? Hey, man, you know, you, you snitched on, uh, you know, smoothie and D money. You know what you did. We know that you talked and everything so you can get that shorter sentence, man. You know, you, you better watch your back, man. That's what they say. I work here. Like, what you mean? Watch it. Come on. Come on. Let's see. Uh, 
these people do a lot of dirt that's in the word to God and can get away with it so just keep your head down and you will be alright the sergeant allegedly told Shields Shields said his car was vandalized with the n-word after he complained about the racial abuse he also allegedly found spit and snot in his lunch and notes with racial slurs in his locker and I'm going to stop there because that's the part that caught my attention even though the, the racist notes and all the rest of it but I mean what in the Michael Swango we have talked about that for years as well neutralizing workplace racism in terms of your food I've said this just point blank there are so many work environments where white people just take you I'm not talking about you know they tried to pee in your 7 up I'm not talking about they tried to, to slip a Mickey in your peanut butter sandwich I'm not saying that they came and put mucus and all the rest of it in your food nah man they will just come in and you come look where's my Brussels sprouts I'm ready to get what they if they what gone that is a widespread problem where white people steal their other white co-workers food all the time all the time I've worked seen this myself we're not even getting to the sabotage part you go on a job really I would say white people or non-white people I would not have any sort of expectation especially if you work with more than like I'm going to say three and I mean that's kind of an arbitrary thing but certainly it would not be any sort of situation where we work someplace and dozens of people even a dozen people have access to this refrigerator there is no way in the world I can imagine being in a work environment or an environment period where 12 people share a refrigerator and I'm going to feel comfortable leaving my food beverage whatever I'm going to feel comfortable if my shift starts in the morning I come in and put my items down and all that good stuff 7.30 whatever and I come back I'm ready to get my snack on at noon no what is that 5 hours particularly if I'm, I'm you know in a different part of the building I'm not sitting right in front of the refrigerator so I can see when people come in that they come to touch my food grab my bag whatever it is I can't see any of that no thank you and I've said for years this is one technology has got to the point you should have so many options they have coolers now I don't know what your time schedule is but they have coolers that work tremendous the little insulated lunch bags and all that good stuff I think for most of us if we're taking food to work most of the time it's not something frozen so if it's just a refrigerated item or what have you you can just get one of those insulated uh, lunch uh, carriers lunch containers or what have you they have portable refrigerators that's basically what they are it's like a plug-in cooler type device they have some of them that are battery operated and what have you but they're about the size of a lunch box you can put them in you can set the temperature BAM will be straight even if it is a frozen item you can put it in there bam be set and these are inexpensive now they do have the really you know swanky versions of this but I mean you can spend like 20 bucks 30 dollars on one of these and have one that works really well if you have your own little work area what have you 
charge it up before you leave, put whatever your food and stuff in there, and then bang, you have it right there with you. Set the temperature on it. Good to go. It's wintertime now. You could leave your food in the car. Lunchtime comes, bang, you go out to your vehicle, get your food. Good to go, at least for the wintertime. There are so many options. And like I said, it's not just, oh my God, they spit in my food and all that. Or, oh my God, they peed in my 7-Up. Dang, do you, has anybody seen my Brussels sprouts? Did they? Have you? <laughs> they took my, I mean, just all of it. All and like I said, white people, non-white people, this is so common uh, in the work environment. Very racist, very toxic. Why even start down that road? It would, in fact, it would be, it would take a while for me to build up trust, and it would have to be like I said, it's only like four or five of us. It's only four or five of us. It would take a while to even build up trust. For me to start putting my food in the refrigerator and thinking that, yeah, you know, I guess after all this time, I guess Fred is not going to poison my asparagus and green beans. But uh, uh. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying it's hey, if it was exorbitant, if it was going to be like a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars to get one of those insulated coolers or, you know, one of the little portable portable refrigerators, something like that, then I'd say, yeah, maybe we have to rethink. But I mean, no, they are very obtainable. Same thing I said about the water bottles, people being concerned about somebody coming by and putting something in your water bottle, that sort of thing. They have water bottles that they are smart locked. They literally scan your fingerprint under $20. They have the kid versions of these for children uh, so they can take them to school. And that way, all the little children won't be drinking out of each other's cups and what have you. Just scans your fingerprint, boop, and then it opens. You can get them for like $12, $20. Now, same thing. They have pricier models that you can set the temperature and that are self-cleaning and all that. But, I mean, you can get the basic model. $15. That's if you're concerned about, you know, you have beverages, you like to have water or whatever at your desk and you're concerned they might come by and try and slip something old roofy. And there you go. Be totally protected. But I mean, just that sort of thing is so widespread. Why even take a chance and talk to your children about that as well being careful with the food there's so much jokes i mean that's i mean that's lit up on tiktok right people go on social media and what have you and post working on a job at mcdonald's or subway or something like that and they're doing all kinds of crude debauchery with the subway rolls and all the rest of it minimize the opportunity for that sort of thing to happen don't use the workplace refrigerator just a suggestion if anyone If you figured out a better code, if you figured out a way to use the workplace refrigerator, I know some, I've seen some of those uh, lunch pails and what have you, even the insulated ones that have locks on them. That could work too, right? That way you can, you know, just stick it in there and lock it. I guess I would still feel some type of way, like I don't want their grubby hands on my lunch container either, but at least it's locked so they can't you know, access the contents ostensibly. Uh, But if anybody has uh, a better code or different approaches for how to keep your vittles safe in the workplace, let us know. 
Number again, 605-313-5164. Decode 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. The email untiljustice at gmail.com. Get one of our emails. Uh, Folks are spectating and such. See if they have any thoughts, their own workplace situation. Uh, Certainly what we've heard or been talking about for now uh, two weeks with uh, Dr. Candia Bailey. Uh, Email number one. Looking at the correct one. Okay, here we go. Email number one. Alrighty. Black female writes in. Hi, Gus, Cal's audience and callers. Number one, the reason I suspect AWOL any of being drunk during work hours is because Jeffrey Dahmer's greatest fangirl said as much. She manages AWOL Annie. Apparently, AWOL Annie told her that she had an argument with her boyfriend. And see, all that old gossiping and, you know, we got into it this weekend and, ooh, Tom gets on my nerves. If all this is just going to be either rumors for us to sit around and be titillated in the workplace for, you know, five minutes or justification for white laziness or white racism if their work is going to be pawned off on me a non-white person like we can just skip or I don't need to hear about their you know tiff and she broke all the dishes in the house or whatever I don't care fast forward let's just get to the punchline get to the punchline Uh, she says uh, fight with the boyfriend he had accused her of being in a bar at lunchtime was she that's how Dahmer's fangirl deduced that she has alcohol. Oh, you lush, you lush. I think AWOL Annie also has mental health problems. The random messages that she types in the chat follow one of her mental episodes. She also interrupts meetings to introduce a random issue that has no bearings, no con- that bears no connection to the topic being discussed. We greet each other in the mornings by typing a message in the team chat. Last Monday, AWOL Annie greeted everyone with an angry message about her neighbor. <laughs> what? <laughs> they are wildin'. Uh, they had left a message on her son's car the night before telling him not to park in their parking space again. Maybe the offspring has mental health problems too. She was upset because he had returned home for the weekend from university and is only 18. Hmm. Why is that? Her son came home from the university for the weekend and she's upset about this? Did she not want to see him? What would it <clears throat> White people do not care about children. Continuing. 
this isn't any concern of her colleagues or a big deal. That's what I was thinking. Like, why are you telling us all this? Like, can we get back to the agenda on the meeting? Yet she didn't turn up to the team meeting later that morning because she was upset. She takes a lot of management time as Dahmer's fangirl or the non-white black manager must take time out of their schedule to make sure she is okay. And this happens frequently, including her not turning up to team meetings. See that uh, where we have to now start investing our time to come oh you all right and it's okay let's have a cry if you want coffee we'll get coffee okay we'll go talk what happened your boyfriend did what no come on come on and they some people might say that you know it's it's 21st century you know mental health is important we're a team like no 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 that's in delectable negro psychic consume you gotta consume i gotta give you my emotions and oh let me soothe yeah tell me all about it oh there that come on come on that's not unless that's what you're paid to do in the workplace like come on maybe do they have someone you can speak to in hr about all this or hmm. uh let's see two at my previous plantation senior senior management sent an email to all staff inviting people to volunteer to work on an upcoming project. I immediately emailed my interest and told the racist female head I put my name forward, which she okayed. Management wanted reps from each team in the department. It took a few weeks for people to be notified whether they had been selected. I was alongside another racist suspect female in my team. I was surprised that she was included, but not overly concerned. I figured they decided they wanted more people or decided to allow us both the opportunity. A week later, we received another email setting out how the project would be governed. A committee was to be established to oversee the work, but not everyone would be invited to the committee committee meetings. Surprise, surprise. Management decided the racist suspect female would sit on the committee not me she was to give feedback to me in other words I would do the actual work while she reigned supreme over me I had put myself forward to gain experience on the whole project not to increase my workload or gain another racist suspect manager she also did not have anywhere near my level of experience hey uh, we did correctly read from Adia Harvey Wingfield, Ph.D., that merit qualifications don't necessarily equate to meritocracy and moving on up the corporate ladder, making those quantum leaps just because you are competent. Not quite. Uh, So I replied to the executive director who sent the email withdrawing from the project on the grounds that I would not be gaining the experience I had wanted. I guess she wasn't expecting that. She replied, suggesting that I speak to the racist suspect female who they selected for the project. I did not. I had no intention of negotiating with her, particularly as as the decision had already been made. The racist suspect executive director had also emailed my racist suspect head of team. She emailed me with a lie stating that the other person had already been selected from the project. I replied to the email inviting people to volunteer for the uh, for the project. 
three minutes after the email landed in my inbox, I doubt very much the racist suspect female beat me to it. Uh, so, when was she selected and what was the process? I kept those thoughts to myself and I wasn't going to change my mind. My non-black, non-white director when then invited me to join the diversity and inclusion board that was being formed as I could bring great insight in quotes what followed was weeks of pressure emails checking if I planned to attend their meetings and my line manager questioning me about it I told them I would think about it but I had no intention of going and didn't that was one of many racist acts against me I didn't expect any different when I applied for the role but put myself forward because I wanted the experience Sitting on the diversity and inclusion board would not give me the experience I wanted. I did not apply for the role, and there was no way I would I could sit and listen to the fake and phoniness. They will drown you in some phoniness. Does not get any better than tacky. Uh, end of report. I think that is so important in just in terms of black self-respect in these work situations especially once you have been mistreated if there's been any sort of tackiness in how they have you know invited you on a project or any way that you've been treated and you come to a decision where you have some freedom at least small amount of immediate power to make a decision about your involvement or how you will invest your time and energy hey I'm good I'm going to excuse myself from this. And that's not cursing anybody out. That's not calling anyone a racist. I will withdraw from this. We have so many things to do. I'm sure you all will be able to get this done. When they come and start pressuring and trying to control, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. You're, you're moving too fast. And let's reconsider. And, oh, we just love to have you. And it's been a misunderstanding. And come on. I think it is so important, particularly once they've been trifling about it all I've made my decision I'm not changing my mind you don't have to tell them that and you don't have to say it publicly in that way like if they come by and you know Asada and I, I know you said you want to withdraw but we sure hope you'll reconsider and you know the meeting is today it's at 5 and just just come on through and, and, and drop in we'd love to see if you've made your decision I've made my decision. Now you can tell them, you know, I'll think about it. Thank you so much for letting me know, even though you know in your head, I'm not going. I'm not changing my mind. Not encouraging victims of white supremacy to be inflexible, but that racists will try to do that sort of thing where they know they practiced racism against you. They know that they've been really foul, really tacky, and when you point that out and or you just act accordingly in removing yourself as best you can from that situation and they turn oh no come on we, we won't call you nigger no more come on come on come on no I'm good y'all got it you don't have to jump up and down curse none of that just I'm going to remove myself if I'm able and we can continue on and I'm not changing my mind the I also want to make sure also 
when they start lying she was immediate I'm such a big fan of being prompt especially for constructive opportunities strike immediately as soon as she saw this opportunity she had already been thinking hey I want certain you know if there are projects where I can gain experience things to advance my career I'm going to be looking out have my peepers open for those sort of opportunities bam soon as she saw it send an email I should be in the first you know and I'm showing my motivation I'm not no lazy black person no way to come back and lie oh no 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 we had a democratic process and you know we just we picked the best candidate you know we'd already picked her by the time that you had it like what 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 now maybe they had already picked her maybe this is one of those things like I said before where hey she went to secondary school with one of the white people who was doing the hiring and they had already told her like you know they they say we got to advertise you know people that want to be on the position but you know I got you girl don't even worry about it I got you I got you yeah you, we're not giving it to that nigga woman <laughs> okay okay I'll get you, I got you. So, I mean, maybe it was that sort of thing where she was telling you more than you knew that, yes, we had already picked this person, you know, before you had signed up and all that. Maybe they did. Or maybe they didn't. Who knows? You know, either way, we already did mention cronyism. Mm -hmm. I think she said, I, black female, I know, but I got more experience and competency than she does. So what? I say that all the time too. I say that all the time. Hey, just being competent as a non-white person, experience, you've worked here a long time, system of white supremacy, racism. We snatch incompetent white people all the time. Incompetent white relatives all the time. My incompetent white classmates and sorority members all the time. That's what the system of white supremacy means. That's another one where I think when we don't understand that, like, dang, these white boys and girls are making these quantum leaps. That's the system of racism. Like, oh, I could be really competent and they'll still put me in a gender's uniform. Give me a plunger. I got a Ph.D. And they'll make racist jokes about me and tell me I'm lazy. I should have worked harder. <laughs> and then they got a, a CEO who can't even type like what? What that that right there? That'll be enough to drive you crazy, right? Thing. Anyway, much obliged for the email. Email again. Until justice at gmail dot com. The number six zero five three one three five one six four. The code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate folks can let us know again if we have any folks if you heard of gray areas Adia Harvey Wingfield's book feel free let us know and or if folks paid attention followed up on everything that happened uh, with Dr. Candia Bailey since we started talking about that last week certainly if you have your own situation you can share that as well uh, let's see. Uh, our caller down at the courthouse in Florida should be with us. Bay Area mom as well. Um, they have other 
hands as I see them. Can I be heard? Affirmative, Bay Area Mom. Uh, thank you. Greeting to you and everyone participating. Um, no, I didn't read the book and um, take no to the other one. Too. What was the second thing you said? Oh, did, any updates about um, the doctor who uh, committed suicide, uh, Dr. Candia Bailey, that we talked about last week? No, no, no updates either. Um, thank you. Um, I'm a little foggy uh, because I'm at the school. So um, I, I just want to do my workplace racism. Um, so this week, we're we're just going through the motions. We're doing a little um, little bit of work. Um, that because the children, because of the instructors, the children. Well, I'm not blaming the instructors because of how their their style is of instructing. The children there, they have their own different out of control issues. So, one particular child, he's baby uh, a lot. He has special uh, special needs. He could do a moderate severe, but maybe he's uh, higher functioning. I don't know how, how they, um, he, because he academically able to do some things, he doesn't want to do them, so he won't do them. He'll whine and cry. Maybe he doesn't qualify for moderate severe. That could be why he's in mild moderate. Nonetheless, there's no repercussions for his actions. He could hit kids and act like they hit him, start screaming and hollering, and that kid gets in trouble or that kid has to be the bigger person, so to speak. And um, it's a particular child, the one that I said when he came to school, um, second day the counselor, hey, you know, to go to school. So it seems like, especially with that, you have that, you're coming in on him like that, it seems like, there's something you're, there's a place you want him. So sometimes he gets, he tries not to get, you know, get too upset, tries not to get into fights. If he has an issue, he'll go report it. He's had a few issues with people. And one of the reports I had to write because he can't read or write. So um, he needs a lot of help. I'm in every single class of kids. I can't help him uh, unless sometimes in that psycho man's class I can run around, but it's only like one minute, one minute. You know, I don't have time. Awful. So he's not really learning at a uh, constructive pace. So um, he, I heard that he got an F in the class that I stand up in all day, the first period class, the reading class, or whatever it is, English, to be reading or English, either or. He has an F in that class. I don't know if anybody else has an F, but the little other little boy that, the other little Spanish boy that uh, swings on to me there that I help out a lot because he can't 
mouth there. He he's having he can't read either. It's awful. So anyway, he made honor roll. He made honor roll. This one got an F. Now I don't know if he got an F the other little boy, but he's on the same level as this one. I'm very up. Well, anyway. This child, when he's excited about, you know, he wants to look at his grades online. He wants to, you know, wants to learn. He wants to learn. He sits in class with his hands full. I'm like, okay, come on, y'all. I'm trying to, I'm just trying to learn. I'm just trying to learn. He's really trying to learn. And he's in there, kids jumping off the walls. Now, this is my mother. He shouldn't be. He shouldn't be jumping off the walls. And the instructor lets him. And as soon as he, he say anything, okay, sit down. No, hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, you, you, hey, he's, I got it. You see, you can never say it. So the little kid, I'm sure he notices this, and he's, he, uh, you know, he'll heighten things, and he'll do stuff on purpose. He really doesn't have to work if he doesn't want to. And the first thing, he's like, yeah, I want crown time. I want to be able to do crown time. He's a child that's American, the one that the kids were asking, what are you? And then they, he said American, and then it turned into a whole big thing about the other white lady's uh, woes for not looking like her mom, who must look white. So this, he tear, he can bother the kids running around. He does all kind of inappropriate things, digs in the toilet, gets um, waste out of the toilet. He's caught on camera doing just all kind of stuff, and the kids know about it. They all run from him. So in PE, he's chasing the kids around. Everybody's running. So the little boy is like, stop, 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 and so he kicked them. Um, the one who can't read kicked him. And um, <laughs> this boy screamed like he got hit by a car. He screamed, 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 It was insane. And I just looked and shook my head because I'm standing back because I don't, it has nothing to do with me. I'm way far back by the gate, the exit gate waiting on the bell to ring, so the little boy that I'm there for can come so we can just all go. And um, <laughs> the principal comes, security comes, everybody comes, and I knew the little boy, was the other one, was in trouble. So he didn't get suspended, but what I heard from the PE teacher was he was uh, labeled as uh, being a bully. So I said, well, I mean, that's where they were pushing him as if he was bullying the boy. So I said, well, that's... Um, Interesting because he, the, this particular child that you're calling a bully, he can't take all that, all that noise and it's it's just too much. And that he said, well, they said that he should, you know, tell an adult instead of him trying to be the adult and you uh, tell him what to do. He should tell an adult. I said, well, when he tells an adult, the adult makes him be the bigger person. So he does tell the adult. But there's no repercussion. There's nothing happened. He's the one. He ends up gets in trouble for even daring. And then he has to zip his lips. And if he kisses those lips, gets that thank you for zipping him lips. Leave him alone. That's basically what he, he gets. So, another one, you need to tell. I'm not telling you. I'm just, I'm just telling you because you're talking to me, but I'm not. I'm supposed to ask. You know, I don't. They ask me, I'll share, but I'm not just. I'm volunteering anything. So he said a couple of things about how he had to stand by the door one day in the halls because 
something was going on with one of those kids, one of the special day kids, and he just felt that he needed to stand there, you know, so, so uh, he, we parted. But um, I came to class yesterday. Um, okay, before yesterday, the little black boy, there's a little black boy, uh, eighth grade. He, um, he's always accused of something in one of the white ladies' class. So, um, he, um, had some cars, Uno cars, maybe, and he had them, perhaps, I heard, second period, and they were going to play it. And then the teacher asked for a fifth period because we had this lady twice. Did we want to, or, uh, or something she said, uh, he said, those are his cards. Whatever she said, uh, she said, well, hey, are those my cards that I've seen up and down the halls and stuff? And then she said, no, these are mine. I got them from home. Are you lying? So she turned him into a whole thief liar. It was a whole big lecture in front of the principal. So the principal's there. He's, uh, you know, she's, um, calling him a liar, everything, and just turned into this big thing. And then he, he's, tell the principal why you're mad. Tell the principal why you're mad. So the whole big thing, he ended up having to write an apology note. And then she rejected the note the next day and made him go back and rewrite it. So he kind of told me, and she's making me rewrite. You don't do, don't go tell, no, what, what, yeah, 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 what, what you're, what you're doing is you're just making teachers go against each other. That's what you're doing. You can't do that. And so that's what she said. Go and do rewrite the letter. So she sent him to go rewrite the letter, and then she's terrorizing him with words and bugging him to death, and just a verbal lecture, just oh, oh. And then you know, with that, you have that eye. So she has this open eye, and she has an aggressive tone every time she deals with him. He asks her something. She's very mean and stern. She's awful, and a lot of times she won't do it. She's just awful to this black guy. It's like she holds, even if he did take her cards, you got him back. You got your letter. What, you want more? Are you still angry? No, stars. So um, I came in yesterday. The little black boy ran to me. Man, she just popped such and such. I said, what? Yep, she just popped such and such hand. He was reaching for something and she just popped him. And he went and sat down. And she looked because she knew he was telling me something. Because they all come tell me everything. As soon as I walk into class, I am a distraction. Because as soon as I come into class, the kids want my attention. Um, So he went and and then the other one, the one that got popped, he he was in fine. And the one that I'm there for is not even thinking about. So... (laughs) um, so I figure, you know, I have to have to case the room. So I visually, you know, check the room out to see how I'm going to do whatever. So I tell the little boy that wants to sit by him, hold on, let me just hold on. I'm coming. Give me a hold on. Come on. Come on. Hold on. Just hold on. Because if I don't, he'll get up and he'll start following me around. And the teacher will make this big announcement and try to kick him out. And it's just awful. So um, I you know, get myself together, I'm pacing the room, I check on, I'm trying to see what's going on, what you're about to do. It takes at least 15 minutes to even start any lesson. She's so so frustrating. So the kids have to wait with special needs. They have to be patient and wait to the best of their ability. So she's lecturing them while she's um, trying to get it together. And um, so I asked the little boy, He's you know, he's always telling me about what happened to him. This is the one that got popped. 
he's always telling me what happened to him in the class prior, because this is our second class. So he's, you know, he's letting me know, such and such was mean, such and such did this, such and such got angry at me, such and such got mad because I grabbed her pen, she got mad because I touched her paper, she got mad because I did this, she got mad. Um, he came up in a meeting, um, the day before as well, um, because I forced to do these tutoring programs and I was forced to go to a meeting as well. And, um, I came to the meeting. I was, I was nice. I came because I'm on the clock. So I came to the little meeting that was after school during tutoring or whatever they call it. And. I'm standing there like, oh, you want to have a seat? No, I'm fine. I can just stand back here because I'm in the back. They're sitting right there in class. I'm in the back by the back door, not bothering anybody. I'm so like, huh? Okay, no problem. So they wanted to talk about, they're just talking around and stuff. What should we talk about? I've never been to any of these meetings. So what they talked about was everybody except for the one that I'm there for. So I didn't have to talk. But my name came up because the white lady that popped the little boy wanted feedback on to keep him from grabbing stuff. And I don't know what you want me to do because I'm only there for this black boy. So I just rather keep it that way since you guys have created that environment for me. I'm going to keep it this way. So I didn't say anything. So I just shook my hand. I don't know. So they're all talking. They're talking about just nothing. Basically sounded like destroying all these kids' lives, like how to keep them in special day versus transitioning them into general ed with assistance. That's what they're talking about. Um, and the end result is, nope, make them suffer here with us until they go to high school. That's basically what it is without saying those words. So that was the meaning. And so it ended up that day as well. I ended up getting observed um, uh, um, on my meeting, my weekly meeting, that came up that I didn't participate in the meeting. So because I didn't say anything about the little boy, I um, would get feedback, any feedback, or just ch- chime in. I, one of those three people said that I didn't participate in the meeting. So um, that day as well, yesterday, um, the little boy, he's, you know, just telling me, he always tells me his morning. So um, I said, did she pop you? And he said, <laughs> and I said, she popped your head? I said, uh, and so thereafter, I said, did, did, does it hurt? He said, mm-mm. I said, okay. okay. So, um, uh, the super, my, the lady, the behavioralist came. So this is our long period. This is our long day with this lady. So this is our hour and a half day. So the lady, the behavioralist came with somebody else, a spotter, somebody trying to get some credentials. So she was following her. So she sat in for 35 minutes. So when she sat in, we're on free time because we did our little knitting and stuff because we were knitting on some cardboards. We were knitting uh, with needle and yarn. And we were knitting when we left because we had her last the other day because of the block schedule or whatever so we were knitting we've been knitting and we don't remember what class but what she said was i think it's maybe the history of knitting or what people did in the old days maybe they knitted things on things and made things so we're in middle school so 
and she thought it was a good idea to share that with their behaviorist, but maybe it was when she's white. So, and we make baskets, so we made these paper baskets. It was so kindergarten. Um, and uh, so we're being observed, but it's free time, so I don't have to do any, you know, it's free time. So this one kid is talking. He's like, hey, hey, calling my name. He keeps calling me. All the kids want, to, want my attention, but we're in a free time. So the behavioralist called me over, and she's asking me, why is the black boy off tap? He's drawing. He's off tap. He's, you know, because I'm always the one checked, because I'm always the villain. So I said, he is on, he, off task. What's his task? Well, didn't she tell him to cut that yarn? I said, and I grabbed it and he cut it. But he told her no. So he's not um, on task. I said, well, there is no task. And it, it was to cut the yarn. It's done. I know, but he told her no. He didn't want to cut it. He's the only one that actually was forced to cut it. And this is how she did it. This is what the, te- the teacher did. But so she's showing off in front of the people observing her. So she go up to the little black boy. And mind you, he, there's other kids in the class. He is minding his business on free time. He stood there and sold that little back and forth. It was so cute. And he didn't know what he We don't even know what we were supposed to make. What we were supposed to make, he didn't actually show us. She didn't actually show us how to make what we were supposed to make. So we just ended up messing around with yarn. So, and cutting it out and making some nothing. So, the black boys was a whole lot of nothing. Now, if he would have knew what she wanted instead of just having them freestyle with the yarn, his would have turned out to be different, and they would have taken more than the time that we were given. So, now, all of a sudden, she wants to cut this. So, she cuts it, but she's forcing him to cut it. And he's like, no, no. She's like, okay, come on, we're going to cut this. He's like, no, no. Are you telling me no? Are you refusing to do your assignment? Are you refusing instruction? And she's standing over him like that, so I get up. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. No, he's not. He'll do it. He's got it. Give it here. So I take it. And I was like, come on, let's cut this. Cut this. So I said, wait, wait. Matter of fact, let me see. Let me go ask her what she wants because we don't know what's going on. So hold on. Let me go ask her. So you sit here and continue. So I asked her. I said, hey, Miss such and such, what do you want? What do you, how do you want? What do you want? What do you want with it? Oh, okay, what I want what I want is right over here cut this, right over here cut this, and this time. Oh, okay. No problem. He would have never knew any that would oh, that would have been so crazy for him because it was crazy. It didn't even have to happen. So anyway, we do it. It's done. I give her these little piece of thing. And she staples it on the wall. I staple his too. I put my backpack out the back of the staple. Whatever you want, man. So now I have to go so now when I'm talking to the the lady, the one who's these uh, her cases, she's asking me, um, you know, she's, she's asking me about this boy not being on task. And I said, he had no task. He is on task. His task was free time. And she said, well, why does she say it like that? You're refusing to talk. I said, I don't know. But that was his task. We didn't even know you were gonna, we were going to cut it. So... I also, that day, which was yesterday, had to meet with her. So she's, you know, going over um, how he wasn't on task. So she said, well, I, had to, I didn't know if he was on task or was on task, so I can't be raising it. And I said, he was on task. He had no task. 
his task was free time. He did his task. He did all his sewing and stuff. And I said, it was, it was, he did it. He was focused on, he did his stuff. So she said, well, she was standing over him saying, you're, I said, we would have had a great time if you wouldn't have came. We were on free time until you showed up. And then once you showed up, some kind of work came in, and it went directly to that particular child. So she said, you think so? I said, I think so. So she said, something strange is going on there. And she said, but what I did notice is that child that was talking to you, he doesn't talk. This is the first time I've ever heard his voice. And then I'm sitting there saying, that's what his voice sounds like? He doesn't talk. I said, oh, yeah, we talk. I said, and he tells me to tell her stuff. And she said, well, why come he doesn't ask her? I said, he doesn't ask her because he'll get in trouble. He's usually shut down and shut off, so he won't ask. So I So um, anyway, moving to today. I can't believe they reported me. So anyway, yeah, they reported me and said that I didn't participate. So I said, I participated in what? And they said, well, she said, well, were they talking about the, the boy that you have? I said, no, they, he didn't even come up. He didn't talking about the little boy that was pop. But she didn't know he was pop. She knows now. So um, she was just like, oh, this is, this is crazy. So anyway, today, I, I'm, we're in class, me and the little boy that was pop. I'm not, you know, not bothering anybody. We're trying to get through the day, waiting on our break. And... So at the break, I said, he said something, and I said, did you tell your mom that you got pot? And he said, how'd you know? (laughs) Did you see it? No, he said, did I see it? And I said, no, I wasn't there. He said, how did you know? I said, well, social just told me when I came in the class. He said, I didn't tell my mom. But I'm going to tell my like, okay, that might help you. But yeah, I think I'm going to tell my mom. Because he doesn't talk to his parents. He won't tell anything. He always says that he did something wrong because that's how they treat the kids, like they were wrong. So lunchtime comes, so I'm, look, you know, I always look forward to see him because, you know, after lunch I'm coming to see him. So today I don't see him. I said, uh-oh, he must have told his mom early. I didn't say anything. I'm just in there being quiet. Black boy gets blamed for ripping somebody. This little boy's notebook, the one that didn't talk, that the lady said this is the first time she heard his voice. Um, the black boy is out blamed for it. The kids are blaming the little boy that got popped. Now, mind you, the little boy that got popped not there. So they just immediately blaming him. That's the cult, the climate. The, those are the, that's who you blame. So the black guy's getting blamed because he's sitting in front of it, and she's ripping him up, saying he wasn't even like that before, and da 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 so the principal came. I went outside because so I didn't want to hear it. And my 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 child that I have, he went to another. He went somewhere else. So I didn't. I was good. I could go outside. So I stepped outside. I see the principal come to the door because the do, the doors you can see there two doors. So I can see the principal coming through the the door in the hall. And the head of behavior. 
So they're standing there talking to the little black boy that's being accused. Now, mind you, he's being accused right at this moment of ripping his notebook. So he's saying it, he didn't, it was already like that. So the head of behavior came towards me. She's like, I just don't want two people standing over a child like that. I was like, oh, cool. So we're just small talking and stuff, and I know why she's there. She knows I know. She knows something because she knows that the little boy told me. So they go and take the little black boy to the office, and then when he came back, because we all have the same classes together, he didn't say anything to me. I didn't say anything to him either, but he's a chatterbox, so he'll talk. But they told him, don't talk to me. But it's fine because I don't need anybody to talk to me because I already know. So... That boy told his mother, and that's all his mother was waiting on, is for the boy to speak up for himself so she can advocate for her child and um, to be continued. Because I don't know what's going to happen, but something happened. So the lady was quiet as a mouth at church. And um, she, uh, <laughs> she wasn't really talking. It was just, you know, so, so, so she was real low with the kids. We had extended free time. We left. I'm sure she ran her other class, but something is going down. He popped the boy. Thank you for taking my call. I'll mute. That's wacky. It took until like the very last sentence for me to remember. We just days ago spoke with Dr. Jeffrey Ward born in California he has one white parent one non-white parent he was adopted by a black family in Chicago they lied I'm not when I say they I don't mean the black parents although I guess they participated in this deception but um, he was lied to Dr. Ward and told that his black adoptive parents were his biological parents and he didn't find out until you know he was a so-called adult that oh no actually you have a white biological mom and a different black biological dad who put you up for adoption anyway one of the reports that he did talked about corporal punishment in schools and black male privilege black males are most likely to receive corporal punishment and in these schools that still have corporal punishment legally most of them are in the south coincidentally in the states that had slavery but in those environments black students black males specifically are more likely to be victims of corporal punishment Anyway, much obliged, Bay Area mom. Lucky she wasn't fired today. Uh, the not volunteering information that is so important in a workplace environment. Not going to add, I think, uh, the young lady who wrote in talked about that as well where she was telling us some of the thoughts that she was having about what they were doing in the workplace so when she had already made a decision like nah I'm over it I'm withdrawing from this project and you know uh, 
I don't need to tell you every detail about why, but I'm done. You don't need to volunteer unnecessary information on the job. Do more listening than speaking in a workplace environment. Love it. Don't volunteer talking when no question has been asked. Let's see. The... young black fella he's excited gonna play Uno and now you've stolen the Uno cards Homeland Security Homeland Security he's stolen the cards I told you you gotta keep an eye on that I thought and incidentally that is in the half has never been told as an integral aspect of the plantation punishing slaves black people when they have done nothing wrong they have followed every plantation rule to the letter you beat them anyway that showed them power it's what I say all the time it's what I say even when you did what I say I don't care it's what I say beatings you stole the cards these are mine you stole the cards imagine that you gotta go through that all day long you stole this and you stole that we've heard that one before too didn't you steal those toothpicks didn't you steal those crowns didn't you steal those (laughs) all day long I have to just sit here and I hope nothing goes missing I hope nothing goes missing no I don't nope nope I didn't dip my hands I just go around hands up don't loot hands up don't loot I didn't take it they could just look at me I always just say you know I didn't take it my hands up don't loot hands up don't loot hands up don't loot the <clears throat> he gets <laughs> he's accused of stealing the cards has to write an apology note and then apology is denied <laughs> Dang, that's why that's why Fuller say hey don't be going around begging for apologies and all that. That's crass and unnecessary anyway. I'm going to get here and write the old apology out for stealing my own Uno cards. You, know, no, 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 you didn't mean it, Leroy. Do it again. <laughs> what? I didn't even steal the cards. What do you mean? I got to think. Let's see. Oh, and I forgot all of this. This was, she said, showing off for the principal. I got to be in bed. That's even kind of plantational white people. I get to, I get to muscle up. That's what I said. Like white people are so cowardly. They are so, that's how you show off black child. You probably outweigh them by a good, what? 75 pounds, if not way more older than them, fully developed adult white person. And that's how I'm look at me. Look at that. Leroy, shut up, Leroy. Write it again, Leroy. You see that? I got these nigger boys under control. See that? See that? That is so plantational. Uh, let's see. Oh, she said they they're going to sit around, talk about the child who she found out later got popped corporal punishment but who's not the child that she is directly supposed to be aiding. 
they're sitting around talking about this child. Sounds like it's almost kind of gossip, but whatever. They're sitting around talking. They see the all gloom and doom. And, oh, yes, Leroy is the worst. He loots and steals all the time. And just a little rapist in training. Isn't he a little rapist in training? Mm-hmm. That's what I say about these niggas. See, she's over there with him, probably caping for old Leroy. You know he's a rapist, isn't he a rapist? See there, she doesn't want to. I tell you what, we're going to go snitch on her too. See, see if we can get get a prison suit for both of them. Yeah, yeah that's right. You're sitting here, you hear us talking about Leroy and you don't want to, sounds like you might want to advocate for Leroy. Like you disagree? You don't think Leroy is going to be a rapist? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I say about these white people. That's what they, that's what they said. Hey, when you play around with sex, That'll be your child. Group of white women sitting around cackling, gossiping. They're not. I'm thinking, you know, what are we here to talk? Can we talk about helping Leroy? Like if if he's so bad and we just know he's going to be the worst rapist California has ever seen. Uh, is anything we can do to get him some help? Is anything we can do other than yarn? I mean, I know we got super yarn in the building, but is anything we can do? to forestall this doom and gloom is anything you got all these minds all these white minds and all these years of education and thousands of dollars and hours of college credits we didn't pick up nothing to help Leroy nothing when you play around with sex now I've said for a long time, everybody, if you are non-white, be prepared. If you have the audacity to sit there quietly, oh yeah, they are going to snitch on you. We got this old silent mute Negro woman comes in here and doesn't want to say anything, especially in an environment like that. Oh my God, white, that sticks out because they are not ignorant about racism and I would say frequently if white people are talking bad about another non-white person and it really it doesn't matter the context if they're talking bad about Obama if they're talking bad about another student they're talking bad about another faculty member it doesn't matter if they're talking bad about a non-white person in the presence of other non-white people they are kind of paying very close attention to how those non-white people who are present respond. Now, they start, you know, getting any of them, you pick out any of them. We go back to the child. That's what they were talking about. You know, Leroy, you know Leroy is gonna be a rapist. I've seen this one before. You know, I worked with Jamal a few years back and we saw that he couldn't read, didn't want to do nothing in class. We give him the yarn and he doesn't want to do anything with it. And years down there, look at that. He's out there just raping and raping and raping. Same thing gonna happen to Leroy. What you think? And they say, Oh yeah, I think Leroy's a rapist. I've said I'd say the same thing too. You absolutely correct. Correct. Been conditioned. Absolutely or they're insulting, talking bad about another black person. <laughs> That's like what I said. That old Gus is a coon. You know you're a coon. <laughs> and you join it. That's how we trained them to behave. 
that's our boys and gals now you ask questions or seeming like there's something incorrect about this you want to do justice like well i don't i don't really love gus but i mean uh does he need any help you know maybe we can help him not be so much a coon can we help like oh god nah, nah. <laughs> like no we don't want to do that at all you can just pay attention to see how common that is in the workplace where it's we'll sit around and sometimes be talking about someone in the very next cubicle it's not let's help that person out let's look at anything training bowl of soup pair of socks anything we can do to help now now we just want a name call and did you see the raggedy outfit they came in here today with Woo, that was worse than what they had on yesterday i laughed all day at them yesterday law i'm gonna put it on tiktok too look, look, look. you will stick out if you don't comment and participate in all of that especially if you're acting like hey it might even be something incorrect about all this it's unprofessional unjust even they're gonna go rat her out and then i gotta sit around and explain like, well <laughs> they weren't exactly being just but at the end they weren't even talking about my client like what really really for real you lying <laughs> like, they weren't even talking i'm here to work with leroy they're talking about jamal oh hmm i don't Hmm. Something strange is going on. No, no, it's not strange at all. It's the and you see that you see the pattern. The dark people get accused all that you stole those Uno cars, didn't you? Didn't you? You sat in that meeting as a mute, didn't you, old spy waiting to cake? Didn't you? Didn't you? I didn't. I don't. (laughs) And frequently it's black people they don't have a meat cleaver going to kill and assault someone they're not leaping out the window with a purse frequently it is a black person who is stationary often seated it happened again with another seated black person hey we got free to free time we got free time Get your yarn, isn't that? Because they lie all the time. They even call that a yarn. So they give out the yarn. They just do the most lame activity. You got students who need the most help, and they get no help at all. And then they sit around and go, "Oh Lord, mm, mm, mm. he has no future at all." I see the writing on the wall. <laughs> Maybe if we did more than yarn and coloring. Leroy might have a chance. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, that's what you got with all those years of education and schooling and all the rest of it. Right? You got that, went to, to get that master's in education and all of that. Thousands of dollars, yarn, and crowns. Anyway, so Jamal does his string trick what have she said he even did something better than what was encouraged and then goes hey hey Jamal what, 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 you're off task man what's wrong with you and you get the same thing I'm a, see that's how I flex see see I'm a disciplinarian see I don't let these negro children run me I run them you see that you see that get that written down get that dinner I'm, what are you doing you coward you gonna show off getting tough for black you gave them yarn 
and now we're going to be like, we got some serious curriculum in here, and these little Negro boys are just messing up everything. Look at them being off task. Look at you. Disgrace. And then, wait, that's not even the biggest disgrace. What I thought the worst disgrace, they say, I, I see this little nigger boy in the corner here, and he just spoke. Are you serious? I've never heard his voice in my life. What is going on? Why is he talking to you? Huh? Why is that alone? Pause. What is happening here? Like, what? Why is it? You have students who only develop a rapport with one staff member. They don't even talk to anyone. Why is that? For the students who need the most help. How is it that you have seven? I have never heard that little nigger say a word. Wow. I didn't even know what his voice sounded. What? What? When you play around with sex, we didn't even get to the smacking part. Like, what? What? You see how much of that? So everything is about correcting nigga. And really, we talked the beginning of the week. We've been here every day. What did we talk about the beginning of the week? The politics of white violence I guess Dr. Sean David Long white man he even said it's difficult because where do you make the line of demarcation with regards to violence because there's so much of it all of that right there is violence and they know that because all of this is connected to where are you going oh yeah the prison where we already heard the people that work at the prison what they do you better watch your back that's what they were saying to the staff not the inmates the inmates they were calling them niggers that is white identity violence against non-white people and the people classified as black especially that's why I got to pow go upside Jamal's head you stole those cars didn't you didn't you didn't you security resource off that's white I'm looking for the opportunity Give me a reason. You're not on assignment, are you? Yep. You're not on task. You're not on task. You stole those cars, didn't you? You're not even talking in the meeting. Staff too. Staff too. I got to go upside all of them's head. What does it mean to be there? Again, that's something to think about before you send your child off to school. White women teachers. What does is that what it means to be white? Violence against black people? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, the yeah, the towel in there with the little fella who does not have that. that alone is the indictment of the school. That's like Jim Jones. We got secret communication. I only talk in code to one person. It's so dangerous here. <laughs> what in the world? And and that's what it says because it's always something bad. It's always some form of mistreatment from these staff members. Much obliged, Bay Area mom. Uh, let's see. 
Cutler at the courthouse in Florida should be with us as well. Star 6-1 for other folks if you have commentary observations to share. Yes, sir. May I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners, and callers. Um, Gus, I haven't heard of any updates on that story, and I haven't read that book as well, but I have heard of that, that uh, the author, I think he came here to uh, University of Florida one time, um, I mean, Ibram X. Kendi, I think that's the name. But other than that, there are a few updates I like to share. Uh, there's another black male that works in the civil area. And the, the white woman, the pale predator, she was trying to, I don't know, like, I, I think definitely it was practicing racism because a white woman who likes what they call goth and wears dark makeup, I, I think it's a Dr. Dr. Wilson moment because, like, the, the fingernails black, um, lipstick, makeup, and stuff like that. Uh, so this person had a wedding. So he's going to ask the black male, um, hey, such and such, do you happen to know what color she's going to wear for her wedding dress? And he's like, no, that's something I want to really be paying attention to. That's not really something I talk about, <laughs> you know, um, I wanted to share that because I, I don't know she was trying to perhaps do an experiment as well. She had her other white companion in there that I think she just tried to take advantage of in some way. Uh, yeah, she she asked if her if the white woman's dress is going to be white or black. Okay, and <laughs> uh, this was the person that had these fragrances and stuff, sat, you know, sitting around in the break room and upstairs in their break room as well. My next one is there apparently was a beating that went that went on because I've been out on uh, my days off as well, so I hadn't been in a while. But just some updates I've been hearing that it was a meeting that went on, and I don't know if I shared this, but I know a lot of the jobs they have PTO where people accrue PTO, so they released this term called PTO abuse where people are calling in and they have a pattern 
or they call in on a Friday or a Monday or was uh, before or after a holiday. So they put out this, uh, I don't know if I can say a revised policy or an updated policy that went into effect back in October. And, you know, they're talking about how if people don't have PTO time, they're not supposed to be taking time off. And there's a lot of issues going on where people are saying they're bragging. I've heard people bragging, like how you mentioned about just uh, listen and not really speak very much. Just me just listening. I've heard people say, you know, I'm taking time off and I don't have any PTO and I'm just sitting there listening to that. Like, how in the world are you able to get to do it? So that's one of the things I've been writing down. And there was even a comment made toward me saying that, man, you know, he stuck and stuck. He should get nine. He should get nine, um, what they call, uh, personal days. And I say, I, I wish I could. And then the white woman said, oh, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, like, why? I'm thinking in my head, why is she reacting like that? Like, how much y'all been talking about? But uh, other than that, you know, she still continued to talk about the black male husband that she got in his marriage record with. And she she says to the black female, oh, well, can I get my $86 back? <laughs> I mean, just the, you know, the, the racism and she's manipulating the victims um, coming in there, crying tears. And like I mentioned before, just to talk about the uh, the, the black male victims. Um, a, the white guy that's unprofessional and doesn't know how to talk to people. This dude, he he got a yellow sticky note and walked over to. She is um, affiliated with the white woman who started up the courthouse clique, but she has a white and a non-white parent. So he went into the department where the supervisor or, you know, so-called supervisor is a black female and put a sticky note on this female desk asking if she could come help with the trial upstairs in the courts and didn't even uh, go to ask the black female (laughs) could even, you know, Ask for the assistance of the staff member. Um, so that that caused some issues and uh, I guess some kind of a meeting. Uh, and one last thing I like to share is there's a black male who this white woman wanted to get trained on some of the things that I do throughout the day. And this guy, he already picked up on the racism because he is on the white side. Okay. He said, he sits at a front counter and he's supposed to be stationary. 
you know, doing passports, helping with mortgages, deeds, um, notice of commencement, things like that. But they wanted him to do the backup <laughs> while I'm taking my days off. And I heard him tell people, uh, yeah, you know, they're trying to get me to be the the second backup or something like that. And he, he would use the phrase, you know how that is. So I'm like, you know, you're talking about racism, but I just let him just give his own explanation. Uh, and, you know, like I mentioned before, I think where a staff member said, well, you make sure you come back when you go to do the routes or whatever, you know, implying that he's lazy, shiftless, he don't want to work the, uh, the stereotypes. So, that's all I have to share right now, and thanks for allowing me to speak. Much obliged, um, our caller at the courthouse. He said the woman with the fragrances was asking about the color for the wedding. Uh, incidentally, that's why I say, you know, hey, you're not paid to be talking about personal such all of that I would not be going into details about your uh, wedding if you're a non-white person even if you work with all non-white people I just wouldn't get into all of that Um, if you worked anybody but certainly with racists uh, they are going to be you know let's see how much money this Negro spent on you know some wedding what kind of color where is it going to be at where is the honeymoon like why did they need any of this information? Are they going to help you pay for the wedding? Are they coming to the wedding? Like, come on. Uh, it's not, why is any of that? And even incidentally, if I heard, maybe I didn't hear it right. She said, uh, is, is the dress going to be white or black? I have never heard of anybody having a black wedding dress. I'm not, you know, whatever. <laughs> maybe she's being goofy. Maybe I'm ignorant. I haven't been to a wedding in a long time. What do I know? I thought they were supposed to be white at the wedding and I thought that had some sort of significance uh, virginity and all of that hoo-ha but what do I know idiot either way I'm not going over my wedding fest even though I will concede I know this is very popular people waste all kinds of time on the job uh, principally I've seen lots of white women do this but oh man we got a sort of what color is the dress and the invitations and the cake and half of them might be coming to the wedding. I do not know. Either way, that is not behavior that you want to emulate. Like I said, even if you work with all non-white people, I would not. I wouldn't even have my photos up uh, from the wedding. Nothing about that. I wouldn't even talk about that in the workplace. Whatever. P T. Oh, abuse, man. <laughs> we have talked about that. He specifically uh, called her at the courthouse and talking about that uh, before, and particularly that same type of thing. PTO abuse, uh, shenanigans where white people are trying to get their homies and such to donate uh, PTO and then having enforcement about it. Wait, 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 we can't go crazy about all that and black people didn't get the same type of hookup and all it seems like for years that has come up and I know that's one for many jobs where it'll be the same type of 
thing in particular white people abusing the PTO system in a variety of you know different ways like what he talked about where they have their little schemes and such they can miss all this time and everything else it's been my experience dark people the folks over uh, in the segregated area they are not able to be slick with PTO and figure out all these little schemes how they can miss and accrue I have never ever ever seen where that happens I have seen where lots of people classified as white (sighs) do whatever I want same type of thing when they said at the courthouse uh, that you know hey we're not doing no work from home Rona Shimona be here in the office got the courthouse we're about doing justice and blah 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 then come to find out whoa 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 it seems some of the white people did get to work from I thought you said it was no Work from what do you mean? What, what you got? Thought it's supposed to be meritocracy. See, we all, that's not, see, they don't do that. It's the same thing with the PTO and all of that. But that's been my experience that white people, they are able to do all. In fact, that's probably how it got so bad. The abuse got so widespread amongst so many white people uh, over who were not in the segregated area abusing the policy. And then now we got to come out new, new codification, new rules update got out the shenanigans that's just you know my experience I could be misinformed or what have you but I've seen that sort of thing uh, widespread uh, the white woman who comes and whatever it is it, she's married to the uh, black male all of that same thing I'd said before about people being uh, confused in the workplace and I guess she could use that to her advantage come to the segregated side and they know she's married to a black person and they don't think of her as racist so they're not suspicious she can say and it seems that she does say suspicious things things that if she didn't have a black partner and other victims of racism heard this or what have you might think wow she might be alright or at least would look at her hmm but many of us being confused myself formerly hey they said, oh, that's right, she's married, she's got the biracial, and the, oh, that's right, yeah, and she's not racist, that's fair, she loves the black people, and I, that was me. Confusion is lethal. Uh, let's see, is there anything else? I'll leave it there for the moment. Let me double check to make sure didn't miss any of the other folks we should be here Saturday same time 8 p.m. Eastern 5 p.m. Pacific we will catch up on news updates last seven days uh, President Donald or former my bad former President Donald Trump triumphant in New Hampshire primary for the GOP nomination might be over rematch from 2020 we will discuss that and number of other uh, news items over the past week or so they had lots of tech layoffs this week I thought that was important as well any other week I probably would have included that but they had such a, a beefy report on what happened with Dr. Candia uh, Bailey and then even related to uh, the book Gray Areas which again does have that 
sterling review from Ibrahim X. Kendi, uh, who I do recall our caller at the courthouse in Florida, I think, said he uh, came down there to do a talk. I don't remember if he said it was lots of constructive information. For some reason, I don't remember him coming back being really excited and saying they had lots of amazing, logical, accurate concepts to help us help us understand white supremacy, racism as a total system and what we can do to solve this problem ASAP. I don't think he said that after the presentation, but my memory could be bad and I wasn't there. Uh, we'll be here tomorrow. Uh, compensatory call in. We'll catch up on what has transpired the last week or so. Much obliged for folks tuning in. Hopefully worthy of your Friday evening. Don't think we missed anyone. Right on. Uh, folks have uh, any observations, commentary? If you become aware of any books <clears throat> that were published recently about uh, racism in the workplace, you think would benefit non-white people, let us know. Because I generally try to scour and seek out. I know I've shared frequently over the years uh, anytime that I, I just mentioned Allison Manswell she was a guest on the program no less but when I find uh, books and material that I think uh, would benefit non-white people so that we can uh, specifically about racism on our jobs because that's such an important uh, area in the lives of non-white people I think and causes so much trauma and stress for so many of us Dr. Kandia Bailey I try to share but generally speaking there is a dearth of material and I'm not even saying a dearth of material that I like I'm not even saying it's a dearth of material that I think is constructive I'm saying there generally speaking is a lack of material on countering racism in the area of labor period anybody out there any thoughts uh, journaling if it's about your uh, workplace experience period suggestions that you've garnered observations about how white supremacy works in the workplace tips suggestion we have people who've asked about if you're supervised by a white person if you have to supervise white people if you have tips in any areas like that dr haddock's right talking about racism white supremacy and aviation and all the detail that he had like we need more of that sort of information because it is so lacking so do more writing practice your professional writing and then do more writing that includes writing your journals and observations for things in your own workplace and then you know maybe writing a report or documentary or book or blog or all of the above vlog youtube channel i don't know all of the above or whatever else you can think of but more content serious organized detailed logical counter-racist content on neutralizing workplace racism. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace 
white supremacy with justice immediately. No name calling, no gossiping, no throwaway offspring. Listener supported counter racist radio hit the blog racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com PayPal button top right corner you'll see the links for cash app Venmo and PayPal cash app address cash dot app forward slash dollar sign decals fifteen years uninterrupted counter racist broadcasting cows signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed i'm a victim brother you're a victim i'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning shut up the man has programmed my conditioning Mm -hmm. even my conditioning has been conditioned with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.